0: (coughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Destroy the Brain Halloween (laughs) Special. Today we are going to be talking about the myth, the legend, the cryptid... Cryptid, known (laughs) as the (laughs) Mothman. (laughs) Yes Uh, If you're not familiar with our show uh, This is a weird one to probably start off with But hopefully you're just joining us Because you want to be spooked out And we hope to do that for you On this episode Otherwise please give us a listen We cover horror movies And all sorts of goodness Just subscribe to us You can subscribe to us on Spotify Wherever you listen to your podcasts All right, We have drinks we do. So, Are we going to introduce ourselves? Oh, yeah. yeah we should probably yeah, do that. Well do that, right. Especially if you've never listened to this. My name is Andy Trefenbach. I am the owner and editor-in-chief of DestroyTheBrain.com. Patrick Courtcamp. And Niles Maddox. Okay.
1: Now, drinks. <laughs> See, I think we were just too excited to get to drinks. <laughs> so, what do we have here, Patrick? So, recently I went to Cincinnati and I brought back from Grayscale Brewing... Trick-or-Treat Hard Seltzer. Okay. So it's a pack of seltzers with uh, designs of various cryptids. So you have your goat man, you have your Frogman, and of course you have your Mothman. Mm. Which and is what we just
2: cracked open. It, it right. What
1: we're about to try is the Mothman seltzer.
2: And I will say, out of all the seltzers I've ever poured into anything, <laughs> this one's like
1: black. Ooh. Now that's... Ooh, it's a spooky drink there Oh, wow It so. is Yeah, I was well, like, I wait, wait turn on the light. I, well, I, I don't mean, know that. What is this, Mountain I, Dew? I it's don't black. know It's so, so who I, knows what, is what this I, voodoo flavor I, I don't know what we're getting into here Because it says there are two tricks and four treats What will you get Three flavors So this is
0: like the <sighs> jelly bean Halloween candies Like some of them are rotten Yeah That's so, what I'm so hearing I don't, I, So this I don't could know. be awful Yeah we're we've, gonna
2: we've put them into like almost shot glasses And I feel like the best thing for us to do Is, is shoot just, just like man up and just shoot it Okay You think so Yeah Don't sip Just okay. go it's either going to be horrible or yeah. All right, All right. Okay. okay. Here Cheers, we go. One, Cheers. Two,
0: oh, what is that? <laughs> okay, what is that? <laughs> I don't know about that one.
1: <laughs> oh God, <laughs> it's getting worse. Oh, Jason like with the pumpkin ale. Ugh. I think we got tricked. I feel like that. that was That is a trick.
0: definitely a trick. That was a trick. So if this is the same flavor across <laughs> each cryptid, don't drink Mothman.
1: Uh, I wonder if Goatman will
2: treat us uh, any better. <laughs> okay, so honestly, here's the. I'll explain the flavor. Oh. It's root beer mixed with stomach bile. It's like a sour root beer. Root beer, black licorice. Yeah. Oh
0: something. no! Yeah, that's know. no good. That's weird. I mean, look, <laughs> they told us from the bat uh, that there are a couple of tricks in there, so don't. Let's not go after the company or anything. With our, we knew what we were getting in pitchforks yeah. and oh. torches. Yeah,
1: yeah, grayscale. You got us. You got us live
0: on the podcast. All right. Well, we're just gonna use St. Louis's own Schlafly <laughs> Pumpkin <laughs> Ale to kind of delicious. Mm. It's perfect weather for it today. Well, except for Niles. Niles doesn't have it, sadly. Niles, do you want one? Are you almost done after with that I one? finish this? One. Okay, well, grab okay. one from the mini fridge. Anyway. You're not here to listen to us drink and tell you how awful flavor is. is. <laughs> You're here for the Mothman. Yes, we're going to leave St. Louis and go to Point Pleasant,
1: West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And Patrick is going to tell us stories. I am. So much like we did a couple of years back with The Exorcist, we're going to discuss uh, the story of the Mothman as well as the film. So kind of back-to-back like we did with that episode. Um, fittingly, it's also the uh, 20th anniversary of the movie. I mean, it, back in January it was, but still, it's the year. What uh, movie? The, the Mothman, Mothman, Prophecies. Mothman Prophecies. Prophecies. I was just waiting yeah. for you to <laughs> so, <laughs> intro <of> the movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the Mothman Prophecies. Uh, came out in January 2002, directed by Mark Pellington, starring Richard Gere. Deborah Messing, Laura Linney, and Will Patton. And I love Will Patton. Who doesn't? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I thought it would be fitting to talk about the film and the story uh, with the movie's 20th anniversary. Uh, Can everyone remember their first time seeing the movie, their thoughts on the movie? Yeah, well, Niles hasn't seen the movie.
2: I mean, I have oh i i think you know honestly it was probably like around high school ish time um i remember just like at somebody's house it was playing in the basement we were all just like hanging out and probably talking over and not paying much attention so i honestly i it deserves a rewatch so i'm going to be renting it from andy's video (laughs) there you go
0: yeah i picked it up uh recently on imprint i i don't even think i opened the seal yet uh, because I think I was going to wait until we got this underway as well so um, I remember seeing this in the theater so that was 2002 Um, I really really enjoyed it and I know a lot of people thought it was too talky, too wordy but what I always appreciated about it was that it develops the sense of dread and atmosphere which is great for people that don't know the Mothman uh, legend which you know I'm still kind of somewhat unfamiliar with it but what's also great is that this is more of a story of like possibly a descent into madness involved in with this environment and it's not necessarily about the Mothman it's like how the Mothman affects these people and I think that's a really just general great basis for any urban legend myth sort of thing it's just like okay I'm more interested how this affects the residents of an area, yeah, or of a of said environment versus the monster itself. I think there's a more interesting
1: story there. I, I agree. I th- I think also you have that focus on grief and trauma because in the film Richard Gere's character, uh, he loses his wife and that you know he carries that with him throughout the entire film as you know the strange things keep happening and you know he's glimpsing his dead wife and that guilt is carrying over to him and you know it's a, i think a big part of the movie is actually just about him letting go of that and yeah moving on which is which is interesting cuz he could have made a mov- a film where it's just about you know like a monster movie and but Yeah, it was more of a human story about somebody who's learning how to let go and move on with his life.
0: And I think that's always a great thing, just in horror general, right? Is that, you know, you can make... If something you have based on real life, it's better to come with an identifiable story that characters, you know, are relatable to the viewer versus this fantastical mythical story, right? No, I think it's a great mood piece, if uh, if I can say that. I don't mean any harm into the saying that, but it is. It's one of those things that, like, once you watch it, you just get settled in. And I also really enjoy Tom and Andy's score for this. The score
1: well. is so good, and I think you know I saw the movie in the theater as well, and I was I was like thirteen at the time, and I went with my dad and. I was creeped out cause you know well number one when it started out saying you know this is based on true events and everything and you know I was like ah whatever I don't even know what that means I don't even know what I'm getting into but then as the movie carried on you know I'm a kid and I'm like this is real what <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but also like you know there's so many moments in the movie that really like got to me and a big part of that was the score cause the score is so unsettling and just creepy and this is a movie you know it's not like a scary movie with a lot of like jump scares and stuff it's all like about the vibe and the eeriness of everything and just unsettling and what I love about it is you never you never really see anything it's just like you're just hearing people's stories of what's happening and right. I think you know there is a on the documentary on the DVD, uh, which it was one I actually don't own it, but I borrowed it from you, Andy. It was the two disc DVD, mm-hmm. and there's a making of, and there's actually a, they actually show a part where like Mark Pellington gets the phone call that you know they had like a massive budget cut, mm. like weeks before shooting, I think, oh. and I actually think that worked out in the movie's favor because. You know, it we'll, we'll, more to the imagination. Yeah, and yeah. like you know, he does a lot of creative things where you're not seeing the Mothman or whatever. You're he's kind of playing with lights and stuff where, like, you see street like traffic lights and they're red, but it happens to look like two eyes. And mm-hmm. he's using a lot of like metaphorical things where it, you know just to give the vibe that something is watching and. Or like little tricks in the mirror and stuff like that. And I actually like that quite a bit. I like that more than well yeah. seeing of course. something, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, especially if you have an active
2: imagination that I feel that we both have. Yeah. It's uh yeah, the unknown is that's where we're at. Show us nothing, and that's going to scare us more than anything it shows <laughs>
1: Yep, <us. laughs> exactly. That's why we love Blair Witch so much. <laughs> yep, really. <laughs>
2: but
0: it's funny because, like, uh, even though I, I really enjoyed the movie, I never really dove into the story itself. Stories. Stories, yeah. There, there's a few stories of the Mothman.
2: Yeah. I've watched probably... I don't know, a handful of like documentaries, docs, and, yeah. and you know, just on shows and yeah. stuff like uh, I've been watching that at mm-hmm. unexplained with William Shatner mm-hmm. on Netflix. And Buzzfeed he, even did, he one. does, yeah, yeah, yeah he does a cryptid episode. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, any of like the YouTube channels, I feel like everybody's kind of covered a few things. You know, it's a commonly, uh, there's just so many different stories I feel that you can just kind of pick one mm-hmm. and go with it, um, right. It, you know, almost has that. You know, not to jump out of horror and more into sci-fi, but it almost has like the Area Fifty-One kind of vibe. Like, it's just a lot of people know about it, yeah. And especially in that area, it's well known. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, this is the area, and this is what's happening.
1: Yeah, you you come out it's, here, you'll see something. You'll see something. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, I think. Mark Pellington did a fantastic job with this movie directing it and I love the screenplay as well I love that it's you know I love that it's very dialogue driven and uh, you're relying on these stories that people are telling and following the character and the grief he's going through I think Richard Haddon did a really great job with that and uh, Richard Gere I think think he's really good in this yeah Uh, I always like Laura Linney and mm-hmm. yeah. I mean she I like <laughs> I like Laura Linney when she's in these more supernatural films like she would, I mean she was great in Exorcism of Emily Rose as mm-hmm. well and you know that she was I kind of I forgot kind, she was in there kind though. of a similar character sure. in that movie yeah and, yeah and but yeah that's a, that's another movie that, in Congo yeah in Congo <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, Ozark. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I... But I really love Will Patton in this movie, I I think. Yes. Because he's the one who's getting the most, like, visitations, and you're hearing... He's the one... Like, his stories are the ones that are, like, spine-tingling, I think. Yeah. Because... And you're... He's the one who you're really watching, like, Descend into Madness, and you... I mean I I'll 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 watch anything with him in it. I mean, he's he's probably forced... the
0: character that I kind of more so identified with because you know, based off of what I was saying earlier, I'm more I'm more interested in the effect of the environment, which is why I was really interested in the new Halloween movies. And look, I I I'm always going to pay attention to Halloween movies, yeah. but um yeah I was kind of wondering if they were going to take a little bit of a different direction like what has Michael Myers done to us and when I kind of heard that about Halloween Kills I'm like fuck yes that's yeah. you know I remember writing a short like outline of what I wanted to do with the Halloween franchise oh. just as an exercise oh, I'd like to see that <laughs> and uh, I mean it's really simple uh, but yeah it, I thought maybe they were going to go with my idea for a minute and they didn't so I was was it that. Michael in space. <laughs> yes, it was Michael in space. They were like, "We have to rid Haddonfield of all these troubles. We need to send him to space." The year was twenty three well, thirty eight. It's about time, but yeah, uh, Mothman. All right. Why don't you tell us the stories?
1: All right. So let's get into the true events. Is everybody ready? Do we need? Do we need another one of these? Do we need I'm not. I'm to not the, I mean,
0: do we next. try
2: the goat man? Let's try the goat man. Well, okay. I said before we get going, let's try one let's more. Let's, so see, let's see. Editor if Andy, just
0: make sure you. Uh, this one is. Take care of this. I'm
2: gonna say this one is uh, like a peach color.
1: Okay,
2: okay. that's uh,
1: promising. That is promising. I like a it's good. Not black. <laughs> I feel like the black ones I, are probably just awful.
2: I will say this: both of them are very fragrant. So. Oh boy. I don't. Yeah. Or I mean, like the dark. The dark seems, colored. Yeah, it seems more like a seltzer. Soto pop more than like a, like a hard seltzer like like a truly or something. So I was like
0: thinking that. about that last one. Right. Do you think grape was thrown in there as well? Yeah. Or do you think it was just like black licorice? That might have been a little bit of grape. I
2: don't know. Let's taste the goat. Don't smell it. All right. It. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't smell, smell it. it. <laughs> that's <laughs> tricking. Ronnie. One, right. two, three. three.
0: Um, that's good.
1: That's a little different. Yeah. That's it. That's
0: an. Sadly, I wish I would have washed S- these <laughs> or had different shot glasses yeah, because you, I think I got a little hit, a little, a little bit of the moth in there. Yeah, a little, a little bit, bit of the moth. Of hand, but linger. yeah, I can already tell that, that was way
1: better. That was better. <laughs> okay, uh, It tastes like
2: orange and Coca Cola.
1: Yeah, mixed yeah. Together. I can kind of yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that was better. Or orange and Sprite? It's still not good, though. Right? Like, really? <laughs> I think you're tasting the aftertaste. <laughs> it's very sour. I All of them are sour. The, Did you notice well, that? Well, you know, now the next one we have is to Patrick, drink
0: have... that out of the can. Confirm okay. for me what that I think can? the shit that you're tasting, the sourness, is
2: probably from... The backwash of the moth? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. That's, that's better. Yep. Yep. All right. Still can't quite pinpoint the flavor, though. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it tastes citrusy, like orange. Yeah, like yeah orange it's like flavor.
0: orange sprite. Okay, that's what it yeah. tastes like to me.
2: Yeah, but there
0: yeah. is something else there.
2: It's like cola almost. It tastes like. A Did cola you give flavor. that can huh?
0: back to Patrick?
2: No. Do you want to drink the whole thing? Well, that one's decent. Well, yeah. I mean,
1: or Andy, if you want it, oh, go for it.
0: Okay. okay. We, we got. We oh, got boy
1: Okay. I, I, I bought these for today. This is an experiment. All right. All right. Weird. Let's arrive
0: in okay. Point Pleasant, West Virginia.
1: All right. So the true events. Now, this is a wild story that covers a huge variety of supernatural phenomena. Couple sees man-sized creature, bird. Something. As it says on the Mothman can over there, that was the famous newspaper headline for the Point Pleasant Register on November 16th, 1966. So the story begins in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, 1966. Small town. The time it only had about 6,000 people. The town is ripe with supernatural phenomena. Dozens of old buildings claim to be haunted, such as the River Museum where apparitions of mercantile workers have been seen, the Summers House in the basement of a hardware store that was used as a temporary morgue, and the haunted Low Hotel. But that only scratches the surface. On a cold fall night on November 1st, a group of national guardsmen were stationed at a nearby armory in Clendenin, West Virginia about 80 miles outside of Point Pleasant. They were reported to have seen what they claimed was a human-sized bird flying over a cemetery. Just a little over a week later, on November 12th, two gravediggers were preparing a freshly dug grave when they saw two red eyes staring at them. They were terrified when they saw a flying creature rise above them and flew away. Two days later, on November 14th, a man named Merle Partridge and his wife were watching TV. It was 10.30 at night, and they were getting ready for bed, when the TV made a weird electronic noise and displayed strange signals. It got staticky, followed by a high electronic pitch. He got up to adjust his TV, and he felt an overwhelming sense of dread wash over him. He then heard a high pitched screech outside, like a power generator winding up. His dog started barking outside, and he immediately grabbed a flashlight, slowly walked out, shown it in the direction of the barn that his dog Bandit, a German shepherd, was barking at. He looked in the direction, and he saw two gigantic red eyes that looked like giant bicycle reflectors, staring at him from the darkness. He stood staring And just felt hypnotized Like he couldn't look away His dog bolted off Into the direction of the eyes Too afraid to follow He just went back inside In sheer terror He let his dog (laughs) just go? He was too afraid He went to sleep With a loaded rifle At his bedside And in the morning He went outside to look for the dog And he saw the tracks Where the dog ran to But they were just running in circles not leading anywhere like it vanished in thin air. Poor bandit, dog's gone, vanished in thin air.
2: Hi, wait a minute, what's our time frame here? From the first sighting to
1: now, are we like in a like a ten year span right now? So the first sighting was supposedly on November first. Okay, so we're on the fourteenth now, the day after oh, Halloween. It's just like yeah.
2: consistently happening. Yeah.
1: Oh Jesus! All right, it gets crazier. Oh God, bet does. <laughs> <laughs> The next night, four teenagers were driving out to a spot called the TNT area. This was a power plant with bunkers used for World War II where explosives were stored. The bunkers are like these huge concrete igloos, and it's where a lot of the activity was reported. Like some Mm. people even went as far to say it was the Mothman's lair, and uh, it's actually like really creepy looking. on, if you go on YouTube, there's videos of you know how people like go to abandoned buildings. Oh and yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah, for sure. Love that shit. So there there's some videos of people who are actually going there, and it's it is <laughs> really creepy because it's just so like imagine going down a country road and you're seeing these. It's a, it's a munitions plant is what it used to be okay. during World War II. And okay. So concrete, like domes, and it just looks super eerie. And I if I was there, I would not go in there. <laughs> but so uh, there is a lot of rumors that there were toxic chemicals stored there or even dumped in the area. So this big munition storage area... The power plant is in the middle of it all, which makes it even creepier looking. Um, but anyway, this these two young couples, Roger and Linda Scarberry, and Steve Steve and Mary Millette, were driving past the old TNT area around eleven thirty at night. So it's a deserted area off a country road, and it's basically also a popular makeout spot. Oh, I bet it <laughs> and, is. <laughs> So as they were parked and they were doing their thing, Mary let out a chilling scream and the others turned around and she pointed toward a large winged creature on the side of the road with red eyes. The others looked and see the two eyes in the car's headlights. They see this hairy man-like figure with giant wings moving in a clumsy fashion. Roger drives off, and just when they think they're safe, they notice it following them. It rose up like a helicopter would, and Roger floors it and drives 100 miles per hour, and the creature is chasing with a 10-foot wingspan. With the startling squeaking and screeching, it continues chasing them along a straight stretch of highway, trying to escape. The red-eyed creature stayed with the vehicle until they reached the town when it took off through the field. As they were veering off the road into town, they noticed a dead dog on the side of the road. Mm-mm. After talking about what they should do next, they... Was just, it bandit? Supposedly. What? <laughs> After talking about what they should do next, they decided to go to the police station where they told the sheriff what they saw, and he actually believed them. Because this is a small town, and, you know, one of those everyone-knows-everybody kind of things. And yeah, yeah. You know, they... Maybe they would have thought, hey, these guys wouldn't lie. They are pretty trustworthy. Yeah.
2: Taking their ladies to make out at a igloo for the military.
1: So the sheriff goes out to the power plant to see if anything is there. He doesn't see any dead dog on the side of the road. But after waiting for a while, there's nothing. But he turns on the police radio dispatch and a loud electronic signal blares over the speakers but it's something that sounds alive the next day the sheriff held a press conference as an influx in sightings continued can you imagine
0: just holding a press conference to address rumors of a creature haunting your town Now, now, I'm
1: sure this is all a big <laughs> misunderstanding.
0: <laughs> it's probably some kid with a kite, and he's got some uh, red bulbs on there. All right?
2: <laughs> no need to worry. Yeah, I mean, it, it technically, you know, you you think about red lights. You think about, okay, well, brake lights, right? It could be they keep seeing random brake lights from things. But, yeah, no, I think it seems like the locations don't make sense for that. Like,
1: yeah. Well, uh,
2: hopefully cars are not in the sky, Right. Well, or just like, you know, in the distance, maybe like on like a, a uphill like road or something. Maybe they're like seeing it in the distance. I don't know. I've, I'm trying to make sense of this, but
1: oh, well, I should you're, probably. You're, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're on a wild goose chase. So in a small town like this, especially after the press conference, you know, gossip runs rampant. Journalists pick up the story and it made national headlines attracting outsiders. Gossip travels in the town, and people gather around in areas where the sightings occurred to get a glimpse at the creature. A local copy editor dubbed the creature Mothman, because this was 1966, and the Adam West Batman TV series was very popular at the time. So. Interesting. Wait, yeah.
0: you're saying we should say
2: Mothman! <laughs> <laughs>
1: The sightings continued. A woman named Marcella Bennett was visiting a friend who lived near the TNT area when she saw a figure in front of her car. It slowly stood up and stared at her before flying away. A 17-year-old driving on the Ohio-West Virginia border sees it before the creature chases his car for a mile. Two firemen also see the creature in the TNT area. The electronic interferences continue. Weird phone calls with garbled noise, TVs with strange signals and radio interference, and one man even sees the Mothman on his front lawn before it rises straight up from the ground, again hovering like a helicopter, never flapping its wings. So it just rises up and flies away. No, that's terrifying. No. One night, a young woman heard a knock at her door. She opened it, and was terrorized as she saw the figure at her doorstep. Over six feet tall, and dressed entirely, in black. May May I use your phone? phone? She closed the door and grabbed her husband. He was also scared, telling him, We don't have a phone. The young couple told their friends about what they saw. Who was this strange visitor? That visitor was actually John Keel, an author who had been investigating paranormal phenomena at the time. Uh, he was who Richard Gere's character was based on in the movie. And there's a similar thing that happens in the movie where he's stranded on the side of the road when he first arrives in the town. And yeah. he's asking to use someone's phone. But, of course, the difference in the movie is he winds up there by accident. But. Interestingly, John Keel's presence in the town would be foreshadowing and that mysterious men would show up and attempt to silence witnesses. Men in black. That's right. There's even a story that's that didn't take place exactly in Point Pleasant, but somewhere outside of where uh, a, there was a man who was driving down the country road late at night and he saw a craft floating in the sky mm-hmm. and it slowed down in front of his vehicle and a man walked out Mm-mm. and he started speaking to him telepathically and he introduced himself as Indrid Cold
2: <laughs> that's terrifying Indrid
1: Cole duh, That's the name So that was, that was the name in the movie oh. As well So that was when uh, That was who Will Patton's character was talking to In the movie He introduces himself And he's asking strange questions About the town What's that town up ahead? Who lives there? What do people do there? And then he just says he's a visitor. And then he says, I'll see you in time. And then he leaves. And... You don't really hear much else about this character, I guess, (laughs) (laughs) throughout the rest uh, of the story. uh, But it's like... uh, Are we supposed to assume this is like an... an
2: an alien, who, I mean, who knows? Spacecraft, and <laughs>
1: okay, yeah, it's it's weird, but you know, so John Keel he he had already written books on paranormal things, and he I think he was a writer for Playboy too at the time, nice. but there you go, so you know, he was interested in what was going on, and he was like going around interviewing witnesses, and yeah. He found out about that story, about that visitor, and he was trying to connect the dots and he thought everything was related. Interesting. So, Keel's attracted to the story and he starts by interviewing eyewitnesses with help from a local journalist named Mary Heyer. And she investigates with John, and she's basically like Laura Linney's character in the movie. Okay. Uh, John and Mary become friends uh, as he stayed and visited numerous times over the course of the next 13 months. Uh, They stayed connected with a group of eyewitnesses, uh, one of which was Mary's niece, Connie Carpenter, who John noticed had these red puffy eyes. And he asked what happened to her. Connie explained that on November 27th, she was driving about 10 miles outside of the TNT area, again, near a golf course out that way. She saw a huge figure standing by the road. It unfolded these huge wings about 10 feet wide, rose up again without flapping them, and then just bolted towards her car, chasing her. Before it chased her, she noted that she locked eyes with it, and she felt hypnotized. She had difficulty looking away. Her eyes were swollen with conjunctivitis for two weeks. When it locked eyes with people, they would get, they would get this symptom, and they, everybody reported feeling this hypnotic sensation, but also a strange sense of dread as well as sorrow. Like, they felt sad when watching it. But they were also scared at the same time. And during this time, Mary would receive over 500 phone calls from people detailing strange lights in the sky.
2: So, like, at this time period, how is all this getting out? You know? Like... There ain't no internet.
0: Is it just phone calls between neighbors? Yeah, I assume. And the
2: interwebs didn't exist? Yeah. I mean, I guess there was on the newspaper. So technically, I mean, it was.
1: So this was a reporter in the town. Yeah. And she was just. She was getting phone calls about what was happening. Okay. And. and
0: I would assume you would get like frustrated town residents that are trying to report these issues to the police, and the police are just like, ah, that's enough booze for you, lady. Well, no,
2: they sounded like they were paying attention at first, at least. Yes, at
0: at least, but I also, and you know, this is something that I remember hearing, it also feels like a hush, like, statement, right? mm -hmm. Where they're just coming out like, hey, we're recognizing what you're saying, but shut the fuck up, we're looking into it. Yeah.
1: Okay, Yeah. And there was at this at this time, you know, at at first it seemed like uh, Kiel believed a lot of the stories. But he he also said that there was also a chance that there could have been some pranksters in, in the town as well who were like. I saw something. Everybody's going to... Yeah, yeah,
2: no. I mean, that's anything. Like, yeah, you know, like We were yeah. just... I brought up Area 51. It's the same thing. We're yeah. like Skinwalker Ranch, things of that nature. Yeah. It's just a constant, like, oh, they saw something. Oh, yeah, I saw something, too. Or people wanting to join in on the... Yeah, film, they want to get on the
1: in the paper. Yeah. Because, Why not? Because, like I mentioned, like, people started to go to that TNT area just as... Just as spectators. Because they, cause they yeah. wanted to see something. Um, I want to believe. But... Yeah, it gets weirder because Kiel discovered a number of poltergeist incidents in the area in people's homes. No. Doors were locked that would open and close by themselves. Disembodied voices would be heard and loud noises thumping and knocking at people's homes. There was one family who lived south of the TNT plant that had to move to a different area because they were so disturbed by what was going on. John continues going around and interviewing witnesses when he hears of another story of a woman named Mary Bennett who was visiting a friend who lived near the TNT plant because of what they saw. On November 16th, the family of Ralph Thomas saw a funny red light in the sky hovering around the TNT area. One of the very few homes in the area. Because it is a pretty secluded road where that is. So Mary Bennett, she was a friend of the family. Uh, They apparently called her and she went over to the house to see what it was because they wanted, you know, there's something going on here. We need somebody else to... You got to see this basically. And she said, it seemed as though this creature had been lying down and she was talking about something she saw on the road as she was driving. And she slowed down, feeling that hypnotic sensation again. She recalled, it slowly rose from the ground, a big gray thing, bigger than a man with terrible glowing eyes. She drove and parked at the house and it followed her. It eventually got in front of her and slowly stood up and loomed over the car's hood with its red eyes. She was so terrified that she dropped her baby. Oh my God, Jeez. The, Yeah, the, the baby was fine, but she was absolutely horrified. The family rushed them to the house and she got inside They locked the doors, and they could hear the sound of something getting closer to the house. Footsteps walking onto the porch. It made its way to the porch, and it peeked inside the windows. They could see the red eyes through their windows. And she said it made a sound like a woman screaming. The police were called, but by the time they showed up, it was gone. At this time, people would also see red lights in the sky. Some eyewitnesses even saw flying discs near the Ohio River.
0: So do they think that Mothman is just an alien? Because, I mean, the weirdest thing about the Mothman thing is, like, I think I always equated the red eyes to be, or the red lights to be the eyes. Yeah. Right? But if they're seeing red lights in the sky, I would I would never think it's, like, the Mothman. I would think, like, oh, yeah, it's a it's, UFO. Is,
1: it, that's what's so weird about this story is because you have, like, this monster. Yeah. And then you, you also you have... UFOs... Poltergeist activity. Yeah.
2: Well, it's. I look at it like this. I mean, I, I hate to say this. Unfortunately, I've been watching way too much stuff on Skinwalker Ranch or the idea of Skinwalker Ranch. And the whole concept is basically like there's portals in certain areas in the world, right? And there's, it's a hotbed for activity. Yeah. So, like, maybe, for example, Mothman, maybe is something from a different existence, a it different could be. dimension. And, you know aliens have always been seen as watchers, so technically, something strange is happening on our planet, and they are coming to investigate or observe yeah. what's going
1: on so as people were seeing these flying discs near the river, uh, there was one story where John and Mary because they they've they they uh, they basically had se- assembled a team of all of the key eyewitnesses. And I think it was about 10 people that at the time were the most credible sources. And it was basically like a Mothman support group in a way. Oh, wow. So they would meet up and, you know, discuss w- things that are happening and get updates. Um, and at one point, John saw a disc in the sky flying towards a cloud and when it made its way into the cloud it started making airplane like propeller sounds and then on the other end of the cloud exited an airplane with propellers like an old time airplane <laughs> oh. and Which, you know, clouds and UFOs, that's a, will forever remind me of Nope now. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) During this time, things did get a little weirder. There was one family who had witnessed the Mothman, and they had a knock at the door, and there was a strange man dressed in black and he was very short he came in with a notebook and just had some questions for them and then he asked for some water and he started sweating profusely and he took a pill and then he left Hire who I'd mentioned was working for the newspaper had a visitor who was asking her questions about the Mothman and he was just like hammering her with questions and when she called over some other staff they walked over to the desk because eventually they wanted to tell him to leave And he just picked up a pen off her desk and looked at it and started laughing and ran off. What? Yeah. Well, (laughs) now,
0: you okay?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm fine. Don't worry about me.
1: At one point, John and Mary were together and they saw a group of lights in the sky. They decided to try to communicate with it with the largest light that was there. And John had a small spotlight that he pointed towards it and used Morse code to flash the word descend. They stared at it for a while and then it slowly moved down towards the ground. Mary freaked out and wanted them to leave, but nothing happened. Days later, Keel and the other eyewitnesses, their their group of contactees, decided to go to the TNT site and investigate for themselves. They wanted to get a glimpse of the Mothman, and see if they could find anything there late at night. This was around 9 or 10 at night, and Kiel and about 10 other Mothman witnesses were there to see if they could find anything. They went to the main igloo, and most of the group were too afraid to go inside, but Connie, uh, she was the one who had the conjunctivitis. Uh, She was with them, and she was... She was feeling good at this point. She was feeling pretty traumatized at the when that incident event occurred. incident happened, <clears throat> but at this point, she was feeling brave, and she was with Keel and Mary, and they went into the building. And mind you, there's nothing around there. It's you know pitch black. You're in this concrete dome on the side of a country road. Like it's terrifying. <laughs> so. They just have their flashlight. They're looking inside. They're searching. They don't see anything. It's quiet for a while until Connie screams in terror and she says, those eyes, he's there. And they all rushed outside. John decided to go back into the building. He went where the direction that she had seen the red eyes, but he didn't see anything. Then they heard a loud metallic crash onto the ground. John went outside to see what it was, and the rest of the group asked him, "'We thought you left. We saw a tall man running into the woods.' and he said no I was I was in the I was in the dome so they started panicking and they they had the sensation like the air was changing like they couldn't breathe and this just overwhelming sense of fear and dread came over them they decided to go back into town but Heel decided he wanted to go back to the TNT area by himself. So he goes back around midnight. He's driving down the road and he's feeling fine, but then he's overcome with this sense of fear that just washes over him. And it only lasts for a small patch of road near the TNT plant, which is where everybody else felt terrified. Mm -hmm. He decides to go back to that spot. So he turns around and slowly drives back. And he feels the hairs on the back of his neck and back just rise up, but only in this area. He pulled over, got out, The night is quiet, there's no bugs or anything. It's just silent. And he slowly walks back towards the car and he feels this feeling again. And he's too scared to walk back to his car. It's just this feeling that just takes him and scared out of his mind. He's looking at his car, and eventually he musters the courage to walk towards the car, feeling that sense of dread. He makes it inside, drives out of that area, and then he feels fine again. And this was dubbed the zone of fear, or the fear zone is what he called it. Oh, wow. And... It's funny cuz I was watching the movie last night yeah. and I didn't pick up on this before but uh when Richard Gere's character first arrives in the town mm-hmm. and you know his car breaks down and he's walking down the road and he stops and you know he just looks really terrified and he's like it shows that close up of his foot just stepping into this spot like he knows something's not quite right with Mm -hmm. where he is Mm -hmm. and i yeah i'd never picked up on that before so i thought that was that was pretty cool so he theorized that this was some sort of ultrasonic area where maybe something was being projected there to give people this feeling Mm. and there's some theories of, you know, I think there's actually some incidents where you can, where sound can actually make you afraid. Like, sure. Oh, yeah. I,
0: I've, there's I've heard about certain this. Frequencies yeah. the frequencies and.
1: What do they stuff. call it? Like the fear frequency or something like that? Something um, it's like a low frequency that yeah. like can't be really heard, but it's
2: felt and it, it can affect electronics. It can affect. Yeah, yeah no. So, so he thought
1: it was that, um, so then he'd heard some other strange stories. Um, he didn't quite believe everything he heard, but some of them were just too weird. (laughs) So there were, there was one, uh, um, he had heard from somebody that there was a truck like for a blood drive Mm. and it. Know had bags of blood and mm-hmm. they, <laughs> were, they were driving through the area when a UFO oh, boy. flew over it and mm-hmm. was chasing it. Yep. And these metal claws came over it and oh, tried right. to <laughs> which Yeah sounds like Mars attacks or something. Right, right. <laughs> right. Which so he didn't quite believe that one, but I thought it'd be kind of funny to mention (laughs) but um but yeah um there's other stories of you know people were started getting weird phone calls strange garbled messages and this is over the span of about 13 months so in what year, though? Nineteen sixty-six to sixty-seven. And so I th- think and that's the most tr- kind of
0: scary thing. Yeah.
1: You know? So, it, and it it happened beyond him leaving Point Pleasant. Like he would go, and he'd keep in touch with various contactees, and they would. Uh. uh eventually, there were other people similar to the character of. Cold who mm-hmm. would call him and like they would call Keel and say, "Hey, he's standing right next to me and John would be on the phone and try to speak to the entity. and he'd hear the strange voice coming over the phone, speaking back at him in this strange sort of electronic sound. But it was a living voice, and you know, if, uh, very similar to in the film, where which I think is one of the creepiest things about the movie is the scene where he's having the phone conversation, you know, what's in my shoe? Chapstick, <laughs> which
0: it's a gift now, I isn't it? I think so. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be like out a there somewhere, yeah. <laughs>
1: So, over the next few months, he's receiving strange phone calls. He's getting weird notes at his hotels that he's staying at as he's traveling. Um, You know, garbled electronic noises, cryptic messages. Um, He then, he hears back from Mary, the reporter, who claimed to have a dream of Christmas presents floating in the river, the Ohio River. So the UFO and poltergeist activity is continuing. People are still seeing strange lights in the sky. And as the months went on, John's still getting these messages warning of impending disasters, but he couldn't quite put the pieces together. Like, the messages weren't making sense. Like, at one point, he thought there was going to be a Pope assassination. He thought there was going to be a blackout, like this massive blackout that would be disastrous like for the country and he was traveling at one point and he packed like a bunch of emergency gear and like all this bottled water. And he arrived at a hotel and hotel clerks would say, Hey, there's a, there's a message for you. And he never told anybody where he was going. And the message said something to the effect of, well, well, you know, like hello, John, we'll help you finish drinking those waters or something like that. It just these weird messages that like knew who he was, where he was going, like he was being followed is that what he felt like. So he knew he had a feeling there was something about to happen, but he just everything was just like missing or he just couldn't quite put it together well this all culminated on December 15th 1967 during rush hour traffic Point Pleasant Silver Bridge connecting between the town of Gallipolis, Ohio over the Ohio River to, to Point Pleasant began to shake as a multitude of cars traveled across many of which were Christmas shoppers The bridge began to collapse due to the corrosion of a single bar, sending 31 vehicles into the water, plunging 64 people in and killing 46. It all happened in the span of about 60 seconds. It was the deadliest bridge disaster in U.S. history. Wow. The disaster was devastating to the small community. People forgot about the strange occurrences... Incidentally, after the collapse of the bridge, Mothman was never seen again. Everything stopped. It just ends there. In more recent years, uh, especially since the film came out in 2002, the town's become kind of a tourist destination for paranormal enthusiasts and... They have an annual Mothman Mothman Festival. Festival. Mothman Festival, yeah. (laughs) There's a Mothman statue in the town square. There's restaurants and diners where you can buy Mothman pancakes, Mothman pizza. There's a museum with the actual newspaper articles, trinkets, souvenirs, and they have props from the movie there. So, yeah, it's maybe worked worked out in the town's favor in a way. In the long run. In the I long guess. run. But they had this <clears throat> crazy disaster too though, which, you know, I think to the to this day, you know, I've read up you know, I've watched a couple documentaries where there's still people who are you know, yeah, yeah, you know, we still hear the stories. There's still people alive who Saw it when it happened, and we're here for the strange occurrences. But you also get the feeling that there's some people in the town who are like, Hey, this is a tragic event that happened. Of course, let's let's not think about this other stuff. But it's also hard to avoid when let's not monetize a disaster, yeah. But because I saw some. I saw there was maybe a little bit of controversy because they have, you know, this big statue of the Mothman, but there's, like, a small monument for the people who died at the bridge. Right, right. So, you know, there is that to consider, but, you know, at the same time, the weird stuff was also apparently making national headlines, and it's hard not to talk about both, mm-hmm. <laughs> but... Yeah. Um, so, what do you guys think?
0: What happened? I don't know. I, I feel like you kind of mentioned the toxic waste stuff early on. And I feel like sometimes, because like I've heard stories of people hallucinating and seeing shadow men and stuff like that. And all it is is like carbon monoxide. So, what, what? I've always wondered, you know, real quick. God, that is so creepy, Patrick. What's that? I muted your mic because you... Wait, I don't know if it's going to come back.
1: The fuzzy noise? That's just your channel. I thought that was an effect. Oh, man. It's been like that for a minute. Okay, don't scare me. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Welcome am my to world. scare you all i'm saying is like i don't know why it's like that uh i'm assuming it's the cable but that's just going to be a nice little added effect
1: yeah i guess so
2: <laughs> so Andy, your theory
0: so my theory is that you know at, at some point right that something environmental may have happened uh with toxic waste and maybe that has permeated in the soil, possible water lines that, you know, I think that's kind of that's, quite honestly, like that's usually the logical go to is that, OK, something's in the water, so to speak. And, you know, if a whole town is experiencing this and not a lot of outsiders are, that's there's probably something more at play than actual supernatural Right. Yeah. And I I think that's possible in this case. But I also I that's the other thing that I love about the movie is that you have an outsider coming in and is, you know, kind of also it's very much like an extended X-Files episode in a weird way. It kind of is. Yeah, it does kind of have that vibe. But it it's a skeptic coming in and like just trying to do an investigation and maybe you know again being the skeptic if he's a skeptical reporter then cool okay so he's going to try to make everything logical and you know with me saying that it's probably an environmental issue that is plaguing the town where it gets weird is obviously the bridge incident that i don't i mean you can't you can't blame that on environmental things so the fact that that happened it could have been a weird coincidence but the thing is is like all these events and sightings and paranoia and like mysterious myth building of this leads up to that point
1: yeah and that there were some you know investigations into the bridge and the bridge was pretty I think it was built in like nineteen twenty two or something like that. But, yeah, so you're talking but about a forty were, year but old bridge. People the people who actually had investigated the bridge said this, this bridge was built to fail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it apparently it it wasn't quite up to standard uh you know, especially It wasn't if, up if, to if, the modern yeah, times. Yeah, and if you want if you wanna, if you wanna play it skeptic you know holiday season rush hour traffic christmas shoppers. it could have just been a thing a chance
0: it's a coincidence yeah but the fact that all these things lead up to it is also kind of curious and you know you could not even believe in the cryptid, cryptid thing of actual mothman you could just think oh well this is like This simmering boiling thing that's happening where all this weird stuff happens right before a tragedy, yeah, and there's like psychic energy tied to that. You, you, I'm that's what I like about the Mothman myth. And again, I don't know all the stuff you know, like I knew I know more now after the stories that you told, but it's always interesting to me especially with this this thing with mothman is because like you can equate it to multiple things if you really think about it it could be like this rumbling of stability leading up to this tragic event it could be you know environmental toxicity or um Tamperment with you know it, maybe it got in the water maybe it got in the soil who knows and that's the after effect because i've heard plenty of crazy stories where people think they see things but they're actually hallucinating because the carbon monoxide is so high in their in their uh place of residence yeah so it's like okay, the mind can do a lot of weird things, but the fact that once you tie in all these things that are happening and it all leads up to a actual incident that sure, great, it was a poorly built bridge yeah. that was for 40 years it stood and by the 60s we're getting into modern cars and shit so the, the fact that the matter is I guess, is that this physical event happened and a tragedy happened, something very drastic and leaves a footprint on the town, but years before is all this weird stuff.
1: Yeah. It and, feels related. And the fact that it just ends there. Yeah. That's, That's the other thing. It's Yeah, it's, it's weird. It, it's,
0: you know, I think there's a lot of people, especially, you know, um, witchy people will think that, yeah, it's psychic energy trying to tell you and warn you something's happening. Maybe not necessarily on the one-to-one stories that we've, you know, have been told and that we've heard today, but, or at least in this episode, um, but just, you know, the fact that there's this disturbance in normal in the town where this thing happens, and then that's the end cap. Nothing really gets reported after that.
1: And then there's... So there's another theory, um, cause there, there were some, there were other terrible things that have happened in the, in the past at Point Pleasant, such as the, the curse of chief cornstalk is. Okay. One, wait, one is this children in big... the
0: corn? Come on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so this was during the French and Indian war, uh, Virginia settlers battled the Shawnee tribe. And the settlers killed their chief King, chief Cornstalk in 1777. And with his dying breath, he supposedly cursed the land.
0: So, just out of curiosity, guys, if you're on your way out and somebody did you wrong, would you curse them?
1: I think the I think the story went that he felt betrayed. Yeah, by the settlers because so- because he was like. There's major that's injustices. A story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, but that's know. like every no, I, situation. But but, but, <laughs> but apparently it was like a straight up murder. Like it wasn't like he was For battling sure. them and then. No, know. of course not. We
0: were we were complete assholes, right. to the natives I, here.
2: I genuinely think this all boils down to premonitions, and I think that. So, do you think this
0: this incident possibly helped? as far as like psychic phenomena
2: <clears throat> i mean you can look at it like i mean you kept talking about um the idea that you know genetic slash maybe changing genetic dna patterns things of that nature might have caused due to our own environmental things. I mean, sure. th- I think it's funny that we're talking about this and there's technically, I feel like within the southern Ohio area, Johnson & Johnson basically poisoned multiple uh-huh. towns, things of that nature. Yeah. So it's not uncommon in that area to for like whole small towns to be just literally poisoned by yeah. giant chemical companies. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense that maybe this small, poor small town of West Point or... Uh, Point Pleasant. Point Pleasant or whatever was... Introduced in some kind of toxic environment, which causes them to have premonitions of an event that was to take place. Um, some of those premonitions from what Patrick said, I think the one that scares me the most is the girl dreaming about the presence in the river because it's like, yeah, that's pretty spot on right there.
1: Yeah. And that and that was in the movie as well when mm-hmm. Laura Linney had the dream about the presence floating and then at the end of the movie, the movie ends with the bridge collapse and there's presence. I
2: just so, think, Yeah. I mean, I think it, you know, and you look at it, curses, things of that nature, you know, um, if the natives put a curse on the land, I mean, that's like a common thing though in yeah. America. Like we, yeah, we've set up ourselves for failure. And so, yeah,
1: I mean this, this nation unfortunately is built on drama.
2: Yeah. And yeah. so I think, you know, um, The spectacle of it all of the ending of a, a bridge collapsing killing multiple residents and then that's the end of the story it's a very good ending i yeah. mean it keeps the mystery alive um but i think yeah there's something to that and again i i you know i don't necessarily believe in anything i i'm open to the ideas of yeah Okay, so that's so that they were seeing images of this this being that was
1: immediately giving them dread. Like, what is that dread? And but in there were the, but there was also some people who said they <coughs> felt sadness when they looked at it. But so that that's where the other. It's theory, like
2: is that is the intention of that to say
1: go away or, or like leave? Well, that that's where I think that's where the Mothman prophecies title yeah. comes from. Is that? people could have seen it as a warning that yeah. something is about to happen. Yeah, right. And, but also, like, another interesting thing as far as, like, the toxic chemicals is concerned is there were some people who theorized that, well, the, the Mothman fit the description also of a sandhill crane, which is a large American crane, so this bird that's... Almost as tall as a man, seven foot wingspan, and it has these red circles around its eyes. This guy? But the only thing is, it's not native to West Virginia. Although, some of them have been seen in West Virginia, so... I mean, it has red around its eyes. Yeah. But could you... Could you... Do you think if you saw that thing at night, you Mm. would be freaked out?
2: I just... I think it really... Ha- I don't know. I don't think that's what they're talking about.
1: Okay. Because, yeah, because... That's the, a skinny, bony so, bird. So I forgot to mention the, the woman who saw it near the golf course, that incident was in broad daylight. So I, I think it'd be easy to mistake if there was a bird or something else. I don't know. but But the other thing is... People theorize if this was just a sandhill crane and it was always spotted by the TNT area where there's all these toxic chemicals, could a bird have been mutated by them? I
2: mean, it would take, I I don't think, no. I don't think it would take-
1: The secret of the ooze. Yeah, it would take a long time
2: (laughs) for something. It would be like- you know, gener- it, like it would be embedded in their DNA. So, yeah. like it would be like one got infected, gave birth to. Yeah. You know, it would take time to do yeah. that. So, I don't know. I I genuinely think my idea of it is is that there was something going on that gave premonition to the people, something bad happened and then it went away. So, now, I think the interesting thing is how many things got involved to witness all of this stuff. Like, yeah.
1: So how do you So there's another theory, and okay. I but I want to hear your thoughts first. How do you tie in the men in black who are coming Yeah, no, that's what before. that's what I
2: think is interesting, is, like, there's so many things that we consider as, oh, these people are hiding stuff, you know, like the men in black scenario. It's those people know something we don't, and they're coming in, and they know something, but they just want to see what's actually, they're just coming to make sure that it doesn't get widespread, this yeah. can stay to this area. Like, that's their idea is to protect yeah. whatever entity, the government, yes. whatever.
1: So this was another interesting <laughs> theory I'd read, was that, Somebody saw a weird bird. Let's say that was the first major sighting. The, the four couples, that's generally considered the, the, the first big event that happened. Um, so what if they saw that press conference happened and some people have theorized that government or military took advantage of that situation and use that as an opportunity to let's remove what we have from this munitions plant, and oh. try to scare people from not paying attention to it and the Scooby Doo and distract the Scooby Doo effect. And let, yeah, and they're like, let's Basically. let's play this up so people aren't paying
2: attention, paying attention to what's actually going and, on. And
1: let's distract them by you know pretending to. Silence witnesses and things like that, which I think that's an interesting. Are
2: thing. you suggesting that these these buildings or structures within the area that were owned by the military <laughs> were being used to investigate UFO phenomenon, and they used the Mothman as a distraction so they could get all that stuff out of there?
1: I'm theorizing that the. So here, <laughs> I, 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 here's the thing: I do, as much as it creeps me out. It is important to have some skepticism, skepticism with it. Oh, of course. And my theory, not saying I hundred percent believe it, is: what if they played up the UFO stuff? Yeah, like let's let's put some stuff in the sky and then yeah, freak everybody out so they're distracted, and what well, we can export stuff from this area and finally get this cleaned up, so that way there's no controversy about. It was we're, our we're, we're dumping stuff where Ooh, things shouldn't be yeah. dumped. So that's another popular theory. But there's also the theory of one person saw something scary or four, two couples saw something scary and they reported it in mass hysteria. Yeah. Everybody else thinks they're seeing something. Of course. But you know or was it a prank but then again would some kid have a jetpack and be flying around a town with the huge wings how i don't know how that 1966 technology would work but. i mean technically
2: all you did was see it rise from the ground so could you have some form of inflatable weather balloon type thing with a dark winged costume on it with some red lights on the front of it and let it rise to the
1: sky but it also chased someone's car like, i don't know maybe
2: it was on the back of a car and they were like pulling it
1: 100 miles an hour though cars can that's go scary. sometimes fast. i don't i'm I don't
2: genuinely know. just like could you make this thing nowadays absolutely yeah. back then i don't know but you know it's all you know now we're playing the telephone game
1: yeah and the, and you know it's it that's where the story gets so tough to quite pin down because the book is actually very scary because it's just like really creepy because it's it's not linear like a story would be like it's not like you know the movie came out here's the book of the movie like it's generally him in the town and eyewitness accounts that he's writing down and but it goes beyond that and it goes into like his theories and stuff. But he puts so much in it that, you know, doesn't quite fit. And, you know, I mean, no disrespect to him, but a lot of people have pointed out that, you know, the guy was, you know, he was an author. He was, he wrote for Playboy. He, he very well could have been in entertainer who's kind of spinning myths and... I mean, that's his appar- job. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was... And a, a par- his career is based on selling a book. Yeah, and a, and apparently like, you know, he, he did say at one point that he considered it a myth. Uh Like, it's basically modern folklore. Yeah. If you will. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, people said he took it seriously, so... I don't know. It's, it's it's hard to tell, really. The
2: value of this whole story is the mystique. And the yeah. whole, I mean, the reason we're talking about this is the idea that we don't know. Yeah. If we knew, if we if we saw what was behind the curtain, it wouldn't be that interesting probably.
1: Probably, cuz so. you know, what makes it interesting is it's a time period where it would be incredibly difficult to fake stuff
2: and but people also believed a lot of strange things back then.
1: Yeah. Well, what, when did Roswell happen? Was that the 60s? It's like late 50s. Yeah, okay. late 50s. Okay.
2: I just think, you know, yeah, communication was different back then and, and how stories got and sensationalism was probably crazy. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. I think the scariest thing to me is the idea that Things beyond our control or things that we don't understand could come to us and show us a, an impending doom and we don't know how to understand it. And so yeah. that event still happens and it still, it doesn't yeah. help us. It wasn't beneficial that these things happened. The yeah. intentions of this thing was to show us premonitions to fear, give us a sense of fear, or a sense of dread or yeah. a sense of sadness to avoid maybe yeah. that that's fear zone right yeah but then no one actually did that so it caused this event right yeah. like that's the idea but since it didn't work then
1: it, i don't know but it's also interesting that it stuck around that tnt area and mm-hmm. yeah that you know and it would chase people who would come out there you know and stay away <laughs> Or the woman screaming sound. That's what scares me. Yeah. Old lady scares. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't know. Do your best woman scream. (laughs) (laughs) That's way better. (laughs) No, you sound like a witch. Can you imagine something chasing you through the sky? No. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I'll just fall down, <laughs> pretend I'm dead. <laughs> no. No thank you. Yeah. Okay,
0: well, something like that. Freaked out. <laughs> I just assume it would be raspy.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I don't know what it'd be. But Yeah,
1: I don't know. Is that a phone ringing? Hang on. Hello?
3: Uh, Hi, this is Richard Haddam. I'm the uh, writer and producer of the movie The Mothman Prophecies.
0: Both of us kind of really got into Mothman because of the movie.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I... We, we thought it would be appropriate to have you on just because uh, I know the movie had its 20th anniversary uh, back in January. Is that right? Uh, yeah.
3: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, it it was I was very affected by it, seeing it in the theater at the time. Uh, I mean, it was really terrifying for me, but it was also like kind of led me down this rabbit hole of uh Oh, this is that. Wait a minute. This is based on a true story. What? And <laughs> I was just like, how? Because this is because it wasn't like your typical, you know, cryptid. Uh, it was like right. it was like this. Kind of feels like a ghost story. It also feels like you know, it's like a UFO kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, I, we we, you... we we mentioned it. Uh, the first part of the episode that's going to come out. Uh, a couple weeks i think uh we you know we did we talked about the the true story for about two hours probably and you know it was just like barely scratched the surface because there's so much that goes on but yeah but yeah i, I kind of want to lead off uh what was your introduction to the mothman myth, mythos and how did you get involved with writing the screenplay
3: well, I must have, I have a vague recollection of having heard about Mothman, you know, probably since childhood. And, um, but it never, for some reason... I it didn't really intrigue me because it, I don't know, it, it, well, you know, it wasn't the top three, it wasn't Bigfoot, Loch Ness monster, you know, or UFOs. So, so then it was just like some other strange, it was down there with, you know, Momo, the Missouri monster or something. It was, it was, it was still regional. It didn't sound like anything that was ever going to affect me or my life. So, so then I, I sort of ignored it and it really was not until 1997, I mean, I can go over, I can get my book. I got the, um, uh, I was in a bookstore and I found the Illuminate Press reprinting of it. And uh, that's the one where it's got like the the comic book art almost on the cover, sort of, it looks like the airbrushed side of a van from 1977 you know <laughs> i like it it's got have, have you seen it have you seen I, this one it's i have seen it yeah the, the big moth man he's got like like almost like butterfly wings and yeah. there's a couple of ufo's behind him on one side and then and then this woman you know looks like her clothes are you know falling off of her <laughs> she she's sort of like looking up at him like moth man <laughs> I I fear you, but I love you. (laughs) And then there's this dude who's like holding that girl, looking away from Mothman, like pulling her away, like, Marion, don't look, don't look, (laughs) Marion. You know, he's kind of doing the the Indiana Jones, you'll be entranced by the red eyes. So, so the cover of the book didn't really help, but the back of the book really helped because by 1997, I was, you know, I was writing movies. I was trying to get movies made and I wanted to do something supernatural and, and there was, you know, thoughts boiling around in the back of my brain, but you know, on the, on the back of the book, it's like, okay can i read this to you oh, yeah, so you know yeah, I it. okay all right for 13 months the entire town of point pleasant west virginia was gripped by a dark terror that culminated in a tragedy that made headlines all over the world this is a story that contains all the elements of a modern science fiction movie but every single word is true and fully documented by famed journalist john a keel i think i read that and went oh this might be what I need. This might be the, the source material for the kind of thing I want to do. Okay, it goes on. Homes throughout the little town were plagued with unearthly noises and ghostly manifestations, while mysterious aerial lights traveled silently overhead, seemingly on a regular schedule. Winged monsters and frightening apparitions terrified the population as automobiles stalled and telephones and TV sets ran amok. Now, I love that. There's nothing supernatural I love more than electronic things misbehaving. Because for some reason, I think that's the scariest thing in the world, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, especially when you go back to one of those first uh, uh, sightings when... Uh, it was the man with his dog when the dog chased after you know when he saw the red eyes outside and you know oh, yeah. the story went into detail about how the TV was like messing up and there's like a power generator kind of winding up sound and that alone is like so creepy to me you know
3: <laughs> but i was just gonna say anything you know ghost stories when i was growing up when i was a little kid ghost stories always used to feel like they were in a haunted castle and the old abandoned graveyard they were very pastoral and they were very historical and and so you can sort of draw a line from like the tv show colfax the night stalker where suddenly monsters and, and supernatural things were like in a very modern city with cars and buildings and high rises. And it's like, Oh, that's where I live. You know? So anything that made a ghost story feel modern and current where it's happening. And then Stephen King books did that. And then, and then when I found out about EVP, I'm like, Oh my God, you mean like, I've got a tape recorder. Like my dad brought one home from work. You mean I can literally reach the other world. I can cross over into the world of the dead using something that's literally in my dad's office. That doesn't seem right. I, I, I thought I had to like fly to Transylvania. So suddenly, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like suddenly ghosts were right here, right in, in the middle of my life. And then that's, that's when I became very compelled. But anyway, let me just finish reading this to you. Just this one, this final paragraph. Sure. So it says John Keel, World traveler and noted Fortean investigator spent a year in Point Pleasant where he saw and experienced many of the strange manifestations personally. This is the full story exactly as it happened. The Mothman Prophecies has been translated and published in 14 languages and is regarded as a major classic in the annals of modern parapsychology. It will open your mind to things you never dared think about before, and it will scare the hell out of you. Yeah. Well, come on. Yeah. What am I supposed to do? N- not write a movie?
0: <laughs> well, it's funny for me because, like, I you know I grew up, I was born in '81, so when the X Files hit, that like hit my stride, and you know, oh wow, I, I really got into Cold check as well. And then once you start diving into, I, I think with just being a teenager, your exploration is just everywhere, right? And once I started watching X-Files, it's like, oh man, wouldn't that be cool to do investigative stuff? And that's also, coincidentally enough, that's like when you start hearing about ghost hunting and like, oh yeah, you can capture EVPs and I remember going on ghost hunting tours and I would take like a uh, recorder and then you'd spend hours on end searching for that EVP and typically you never got it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right, right, you're just, you're 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 breaking your brain listening to the hissing noise <laughs> right. of the tape
1: recorder. yeah meanwhile in some of those ghost shows it's like evp plays right away they understand perfectly what it's saying right, I'm like, right.
4: <laughs> of course yeah yeah these,
0: these digital kids don't know what it was really like right. <laughs> analog things so when did you start writing the screenplay
3: well, I um, what did I do? I was I was wor- I was working on something else at the time. I was I was working on my first paid gig, which at that moment uh, I was finishing like a final rewrite draft of um, of not. I wish I could say it was what became the A Team movie. Oh, gotcha! Wow but it wasn't because this was years before. I mean, like literally like 14 years before that came out 13 years. So the draft that I wrote was, was long gone before the, you know, before they did the version that eventually got filmed. But I was, I was finishing that up and I was really like, I, I was so burned out on writing a big, big giant action movie with with, you know, guns and bombs and planes and plot and all of this stuff. And I just I remember just thinking, I just I just want to write something that's a little bit more human in scale. And I I also remember wanting to wanting to do because I've been reading a lot of books about um about people actually experience, like their real experiences with the supernatural, like encountering things. I was reading a book, um, well, I mean, you know, there's a million of them, I'm sure you've read them too, but I know one that was burning in my brain was a book called uh, Demonic Reality by Patrick Harper. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, but the word demonic is not like, like, you know, a demonic force. It's spelled D-A-I. M O N I C, and what he's talking about is sort of everything. He's like he's like the 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 world of the unseen and how it interacts with us. And so he's talking about fairies and UFOs and ghosts and and all kinds of things. And it's a really great book. I recommend it. But um, but it it was just constantly, you know, so, sort of reminding me that the people who have strange encounters you know those encounters typically don't get explained like i i'm like i don't want to write a movie where it it can only be mysterious for the first half and then harrison ford has to figure it out and then it just all comes down to you know having a very movie style confrontation with a supernatural force because it's it's always the first half of those movies that i really like where everything is still mysterious and nothing makes sense and it's scary right it's it's less interesting when it has to become a very traditional narrative and you have to bring the ghosts out of the shadows and give them form and function and reason. And then, oh, it turns out it's the it's the lady who died here or the little boy. And now we're going to we're going to see them and we're going to talk to them and we're going to help them and we're going to either fight them or free them or something, because then it's just okay. well, now we're just following plot and trying to finish that up. So I'm like, is there any way just to tell a story where it's weird all the way through and then it ends? (laughs) <laughs> with with no satisfying conclusion and people will leave the theater disappointed and <laughs> that's what i did ladies and gentlemen I couldn't be more proud <laughs> that
1: is one of my favorite things about the film though is that you're just as in the dark as everybody else in the movie and right. uh, like there were there were some rewrites that came about with the script right uh like did, did, there were some other people that may have come along. I
3: thought I read that somewhere. Um Well, there were rewrites. Um Yeah. I, mean, I can tell you, I can tell you as, as far as I know, exactly kind of what the process was, because I had written, I had written a draft that, that went out to like, like I, you know, my agent sent it out. My agent was so excited. God bless him. My agent, was a guy on more than one occasion, and this is not, not the agent I have now, but but he would read a, a film script of mine uh, and say, this is the best thing I've ever, we're, we're, we're gonna sell this thing for a million dollars. And the first time he said that I got so excited, and then we went out and proceeded to sell that script for exactly zero dollars. <laughs> And then the second time he said it, I was like, you know, maybe it's smarter for you as an agent to not say that to go. Maybe what you do is you say, I don't know Adam, this one's going to be a tough sell. And then the next phone call you make is the one where you're like, Hey, guess what? You got a genius for an agent. They want to give you a million dollars. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and flash to so, like the spending spree and everything. <laughs> exactly, you know.
3: It, so so Mothman went out uh, and also sold for zero dollars. And, um, and you know, back in the day, it was like, okay, we're gonna send this out. We're gonna flood the entire town. And you know, this is Monday and by Friday, you're gonna be, you know, driving a new car. And uh, by Friday, you know, I was still driving the old car and and then weeks went by and and every last place finally passed on it and it had not sold anywhere uh at which point um a producer that i'd worked for in the past uh sort of was like hey so i he called my agent and said i hear that you know richard went out with a script did uh did you send it here 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 and here and my agent, and these were smaller companies, and my agent said no. And so this producer said, Well, I know people there, let me walk it in. And so one of the places he walked it in was Lakeshore, and Lakeshore was the place that bought it for you know for you know as as little over zero as they possibly could. And um, and at that point, uh my my agent was like, Well, you're not gonna sell it for a lot of money, but the, the the advantage of Lakeshore productions is that they don't have a huge budget for development. So if they buy it, they make it. Okay. If you if you sell it to Universal or Warner Brothers, they buy dozens and dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of projects, and they develop a million things, but they only make the top five or 10%. You could just be there forever and it never gets made. But if we do this deal with Lakeshore, they will make this movie. One way or another, it will come out in theaters. And I'm like, well, you know what? Then I'm going to cross my fingers and hope everything works out. And we set up a deal with Lakeshore. And um, we developed it for a little while with me. And then Richard gear got involved at which point he was like, yeah, I got to bring on my writer. So I was let go. And then over the course of like two years, there were, there was more than one writer who came on and did uh, rewrites of all kinds, none of which I ever ended up reading. Cause I just never saw them. And then um, early on in the process, they had shown my draft to a director, uh, Mark Pellington, who was, at that time making Arlington Road for them. And he read it, but he was busy. And then two years later, after Gear was involved, but hadn't quite signed on, they uh, were having a conversation with Mark Pellington and he's like, what else you guys got? And they're like, well, we're trying to develop this uh, Mothman Prophecies thing. And Mark's like, I think I read that. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, but uh, but we've got a bunch of rewrites, you know, We'll, we'll, we'll show you the current draft. So they showed Mark Pellington the most recent draft And he's like, this doesn't, this isn't like what I read. Give me, you know what? Send me all the drafts. Just send me every rewrite that's been done. And they sent him, I don't know, six, eight, 10 scripts, various drafts. And he started with mine and read them all chronologically. And then said, I would love to do this movie, but I want to do that first one that I read two years ago. So if Richard Gere is cool with that, that's what I want to do. And they said, let's find out. And they had another conversation and very quickly they were like, let's go make this movie. And then that's the movie they made.
1: Yeah. That's something I, I'd always wondered, um, just cause I'd, I'd heard, you know, some rumblings about rewrites that may have happened or if other people were brought on board, if there was anything of yours that maybe was lost in the final film that you wish you could have included, uh, particularly, uh, I'll get into more of this later, but particularly like with, you know, because of the huge scope of the things that happen in the book, was there ever anything that you maybe couldn't quite fit into the overall story that you thought was so fascinating or just any of your other uh, favorite moments from the book that maybe you thought could have worked, but just couldn't quite get into it?
3: Well, you know, yeah. OK, two stories. The first one is. Uh, the first meeting I had with Lakeshore, they had a really interesting note, and um, I think it was correct. And it didn't bother me at the time, but, but it never would have occurred to me. The first note they gave me was, go through the script and take out every single reference to UFOs. No, don't say the word UFO. Don't talk about UFOs. Just take, take, take the phrase UFOs out of the movie. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because, you know, I mean, you know, if, you, if you've if you read the book and you heard the stories, yeah, if you know John Keel, UFOs are a big part of it. But I'm like, well, that's interesting. OK, I mean, I can still have the encounter with Indrid Cold. It just I just won't use the phrase UFO. It's just like, you know, suddenly there was a guy in the street. He got out of a craft and came over and, you know, and and then in in the final movie that you've seen, there's certainly no mention of UFOs. They were like, let's just make it. The Mothman. People are seeing Mothman, and 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 there's weird phone calls. That's all fine, and weird, you know, premonitions, but no UFOs. So I took the UFOs out. So that's that was one thing that was in the script that's not in the movie. the The other things that are not in the final movie are a little bit more material in the first twenty minutes about um uh the marriage of John and Mary. Um, there was a little bit more material where you sort of, you meet, uh, like her parents are there at the hospital, a little bit more time is spent sort of living in the, oh my God, my wife has a brain tumor. Wait a second. What's going to happen? Or maybe she'll be okay. Maybe she can come home for Christmas. Oh wait, no, she can't. now it looks like she's going to die. There was just more material. It was my Stephen King stuff. It was like, I'm going to make the first you know, 20 minutes of this movie feel like it's all gonna be about like a family drama about someone who gets sick and dies and what the family dynamics are. And I'm gonna make that as compelling as I can and sort of like make you forget why you came to see the movie so that you'll be so in the middle of sort of a raw, real life that when when the supernatural stuff comes in, like a Stephen King novel, you'll be so in the real world that it'll really, it really hit you fresh. Right. So that was some stuff that was missing. And really the only other thing that was missing was, um, a scene that I was really excited about. One of the first things I, I wanted to write when I wrote the screenplay, which was a, a basically made up scene that was based on a, a reference in the actual book, but it would have been, Uh, John Klein visiting like an old woman who lives alone in a house in Point Pleasant. And, and she invites him over and she's like, I really need to talk to you. I've been having some problems. And he's like, sure. And she's like, Oh, please come in. And she's very polite and comes, please sit down. Would you like some tea? You know? And she's got her, her, her house is set up really nice and all of her little tchotchkes and doilies everywhere. And he sits down and and But she seems really upset, and he doesn't know why. So they sit down, and they're having their tea, and she starts trying to explain why she's upset, and a book off of her bookshelf just slides out and falls to the ground.
1: Uh, so kind of going back to the poltergeist activity that was
3: referenced right, in the book. Yeah. Right, And he looks over, and, and then he looks back at her, and she literally, like, she, she has this, like, distressed look on her face like like her dog just came in and peed on the floor and then and and she tries to start talking again and something else slides off a table and falls on the ground and she's just becoming more and more upset and you realize though it's her it's her embarrassment that she is unable to host anymore because she wants her house to be perfect and she is the perfect hostess but every time she tries to do it this thing in the house starts messing things up and messing up her house. And it's almost like a, almost like a housekeeping OCD sort of, reaction she's having. She's not worried about ghosts or haunting. She just doesn't like to have a disordered house. Yeah. And and there's something in the house that keeps moving things around. And she's so upset and he's like, okay, okay, let me see what I can do. And I just there was something I loved about that idea, but it I don't think it ever quite translated to anyone who was reading it. They're all like, I don't get it. She's got a poltergeist. So what? So anyway, so that scene uh was one I was excited about. But those are the those are the big ones.
1: I would have loved to have seen that But um, yeah, I I do like the I mean, you mentioned earlier, you know, bringing a very human focus to this. And uh, one of my favorite things about the film is even though there's this big focus on the supernatural and the weird things that are happening in this town, it never loses focus on the human element. And, you know, this huge theme I feel with the movie is, you know, letting go and moving on, especially with. John Klein needing to stop obsessing over uh, interacting with his wife and trying to communicate with her, with her and which I thought was really powerful. And uh, was that ever a challenge trying to balance that, like going between the supernatural stuff, but also uh, everything going on with John
3: Klein and Mary? and Well, y- yeah, I, it, you know, it, it wasn't once I thought of it 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 became the the solution to every problem because the problem of adapting the book is that it's a lot of stuff but there's nothing there's no sort of unifying element to it it's unified by the event that happens at the end but but until you get to the end you're sort of free floating so i Early, early on, I was sort of like, okay, I love the idea of a guy. He's a reporter. You know, I'll make him actually a real journalist at a big East Coast newspaper. And he gets stuck in a small town and weird things start to happen. But then it's like, well, it's going to be very episodic. And it's just going to be, well, here's a weird thing. Well, here's a weird thing. And, and, And ultimately, you know, if the Mothman isn't killing people, who cares? And early on... And thank God, I'm sure it was just again all the Stephen King novels I'd ever read, just sort of you know boiling around in the back of my head. But it was like, oh, this guy should be injured. He should have an emotional injury. And and when I thought, oh, if you know, if he's in a relationship and his wife dies and he never quite gets over it, then there's a there's a real connection there with with people who experience the supernatural. And and what people want when they investigate the supernatural, which is, I want the answer. I want to know what the big answers are, why we're here, what happens afterwards. I, I, I want those answers. Um, it's why people go to uh, mediums to try to talk to a dead spouse, a dead child, uh, a dead parent, because you want a level of reassurance and And when we hear ghost stories, even when they're scary, they're weirdly reassuring because it's like, well, one way or another, there is something else, but who knows what that is. Right. And so I thought there probably is a good way to let that be his real motivation. So that even as, I mean, it's almost like in the X-Files, like you were talking about, it's like, yeah, Fox Mulder is, is going on a week to week case, You know, maybe there's a vampire in this town or a werewolf in that town or weird, mysterious bugs in another town. But what he's really searching for is his sister. That's his emotional uh, orientation in every episode is going and meeting other people who have been emotionally affected by a supernatural event. And he walks in and says, I know how you feel. She doesn't. She's scully. She doesn't know how you feel. She might solve it, but she cannot sympathize in the way that I can. So all of this stuff is, you know, uh, you know, I'm not reinventing storytelling. It's like, yeah, that that's going to set him up emotionally to, to have his own reason to investigate. And then I'm like, and if, if the book is to be believed, if the phenomenon begins focusing on him, and starts to get to know him, then wouldn't it use his sort of Achilles heel to keep him on the hook? Wouldn't it dangle images of his wife in front of him to keep him in town, to keep him interested, to keep him interacting, which was clearly important to whatever was going on, whatever was Haunting Point Pleasant. It wanted people to be interested, and to stay there and to stay on the hook. And and then suddenly it all made sense. And it's like, and so what, what we've really got is a story about a guy who can't move on from this tragedy in his life. And we're gonna meet a woman in that town that because we're moviegoers, we're gonna understand is a possible new relationship for him. And we're gonna want him to get his life started again, but we're gonna know he can't do it if he's tethered to the past. And if he's constantly gazing into the dark, looking for answers, about the mystery of his wife's death, he'll never be able to truly see this other person. And 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 we're going to feel that that is the true goal for the movie and then in the last, you know, 15 minutes it becomes very much his goal.
1: And I thought that was done so well and I also really liked how on the other end of the token you had Gordon who seems to be presented as kind of a warning of what could happen if john continues going down that path and obsessing too much and he ends up dead and there's this that whole descent into madness kind of aspect of it and yeah i I really like that about it as well as just you know even you know once gordon's dead that's when connie's telling john to just
3: let it go and um, yeah. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, that's exactly what, um, uh, what, what that character was all about. Uh, it it, it was, it was the warning. That character was the warning. Here's yeah. if you keep going, <laughs> if you keep going this way, Ebenezer screwed <laughs> here, here's what will happen to you in the Christmas of the future, you know, and it's all laid right out there. And, but it's hard, but you know, what's funny. So, Okay, so, you know, I, I write the script, things happen, movie comes out. And then since then, I've seen movies from my past and I go, oh, wait a second. I, that was influencing this and I didn't even know it. And um, just the other day, I rewatched the movie And I'm like, oh wow, I think this must have been somewhere deep in the back of my brain. And it never consciously bubbled up to the surface, but I was totally, it was the movie, have you ever seen Altered States? Oh yes. Well, I watched it last week and I'm like, oh baby, Altered (laughs) States must have been in my brain because basically you've got this guy, right? Who's just like, no, I've got to get in the tank one more time. He's, he's got go this drive. Further.
0: Yeah. This it, like insane, <laughs> unstoppable drive to solve something.
3: Right. He's got to solve the mystery of humanity and, and consciousness. And Blair Brown is like, well, you know, you have two daughters and me and we're all kind of standing here. Yeah. So we're on so the sidelines just, <laughs> <laughs> just waiting for name you. Maybe you just yeah, come hang out with us and <laughs> you don't have to turn into a primate, uh, every Friday night. Uh, but yeah, I, but I saw it, and I'm like, well, thematically, it's exactly the same. It's a guy who gets obsessed with something that is that is intellectual and spiritual and psychological and very, very non-physical. And, and the construction is that you can only go so far down that road before it becomes self-destructive. And, you know, I I mean, obviously, and everything I see now is political stuff. I love stuff. I wrote, but, you know, ultimately, yes, it is a story about a, you know, a man, a white dude who is, is, you know, reaching for the stars, but then there's another voice, a female voice saying, just come home. <laughs> just, just, just come home and parent your children, and that's going to be enough. And um, you know, and I know there's uh, there's a, there's other movies. One of them, of course, is Close Encounters. Yeah, and that's another movie where a guy becomes you you know unreasonably, well, maybe unreasonably obsessed with a supernatural concept building Devil's Tower out of his mashed potatoes and he leaves his wife and he leaves his kids and he goes and and what's weird about Close Encounters is Steven Spielberg man Richard Dryfus doesn't go back to his family he gets on the fucking UFO and leaves yep he goes whole hog. I mean, I didn't have the guts to write that story. Yeah, I didn't want to write that story, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> it's kind of crazy when you think about it that it's not it, in a weird way. Is that kind of un Spielbergian? Like, yeah, you know, it, like you you would think It defies family I don't, values. I don't, <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna stay with my family. Yeah, but that doesn't
3: happen. Right? <laughs> yeah, no, it totally doesn't happen. I mean, you could, you could probably, like, you know, we'll we'll all sit down and write our, you know, our college essays at one point. But it's like there's an argument to be made that it's very Spielbergian because it's it's a a complete giving over to a sense of childlike wonder. That's um, true. The yeah. You know, like we weren't, I don't think anyone felt that anything bad was going to happen to, uh, Roy Neri. That was, uh, Richard Dreyfuss's character. Like when he gets on that UFO, it almost felt like he's going to heaven. You know, he's entering a bright light. It's like, wow, he, he's transcending. It's, it's this, it's this, he's, he's now going on a wonderful adventure and, um, and, you know, he doesn't hook up with Melinda Dillon, uh, the other woman who's equally obsessed. She's like, well, I'm obsessed, too. Why don't we just hang out and be obsessed together and then go, OK, oh, never mind. You're getting on the, the UFO. OK, forget it. All right, bye.
1: <laughs> Have you uh, in your research, uh, maybe around the time that you read the you read the book, writing the screenplay, did you ever make your way out to Point Pleasant? Uh,
3: no, I have still never been. And, you know, it's, I was gonna, there was a, there was a thing in the back of my head. I'm like, you know what? 2022 should be the time. It'll be the 20 year anniversary. Maybe I'll go, maybe they'll show it, you know, we can do a little, you know, uh, you know, interview afterwards. We could talk about the movie and it'd be a really great thing, but the more, and, and there were, there were like, you know, other people, uh, from other podcasts who are like, yeah, we should all go down there and we'll kind of do a show. And when we researched it, it became clear that it was just not, it was not gonna work for a million reasons. Some of them personal, some of them Point Pleasant, you know what, like Point Pleasant doesn't really have a place to do a screening if there were more than 25 people who wanted to see the movie, they couldn't accommodate it. And it's sort of like, Oh, well, the fun would be if there was like a bunch of people who wanted to see it. So anyway, it, it was sort of like, I'll, I'll, get there one day. But what's really funny is that people go there all the time and take pictures of that statue right. or go into the, they go into the museum and, and apparently there's like a documentary there where I'm in the documentary and they're like, Oh my God, you're in, you're, you're in this place in Point Pleasant. And I'm like, I still haven't been there. <laughs> But a friend of mine, um, again, if, if it's okay to mention another podcast. Oh, yeah. Um, my friends, uh, Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess on the Astonishing yes, Legends podcast.
1: I'm I'm a big fan of them. Oh,
3: cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and they're, you know, I mean, we're all in the same, we're all in the same, <laughs> on the same crazy bus of uh, paranormal <laughs> enthusiasts. But Scott always tells this story about how years ago he went through Point Pleasant and actually... Um, there was like a big, there's the the wreckage of the old bridge. There's still uh, pieces of it along the, along the banks. At least there was when he went and he took a chunk of the old silver bridge and he brought it home wow. as a weird artifact. And, and he got rid of it. Why he said, yeah, he said, he said it felt bad. He, mm-hmm. he was excited about it, but the minute he left town with it, he started to feel weird about it. And he's like, I'm not gonna be, you know, I'm not gonna tell you that weird things happened or something was haunted, but but I will tell you, he's he was kind of like every bad thing that happened after that felt like it was happening because I had that chunk of tragedy in my house. And after a few months, I'm like, you know what? Maybe it's crazy, but I'm gonna get rid of this thing. And he got rid of it and, uh, and felt a lot better once he did.
0: I think there's something to be said and you know whether you believe in supernatural or not i I think there's something to be said about brain power in general and whether that's just really like a distortion or or contortion of what is actually happening obviously you know nobody's going to really know unless you have multiple documents on it right but but i think that that you know if he really believed that all these things that were not working out in his favor were associated to that. Yeah, sure. You could, you could blame it on that piece. And as soon as it's gone, it's, you know, everything's hunky dory. Yeah. I, I think that is almost a perfect, perfect, like not analogy, but like a perfect capsule of what supernatural is in general.
3: Yeah. Right. Because, because it's interactive and it's interpretive. So, you're going to see things framed in a certain way if you're approaching it with those kind of preset thoughts. If you, if you think you've got something that might be cursed, you're going to be really aware every time you stub your toe or get a, you know, a ticket or, you know, or something, you know, God forbid really bad happens in your life. You're going to, it's going to, it's gonna, you know, be way up on your radar, and then you get rid of that thing, and then, and then, you know, stubbing your toe and getting a traffic ticket, or just that's just a stupid thing that happened the other day. Yeah, it's not part of a pattern,
1: but it could have been. <laughs>
0: but it could have been. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, it's another it,
1: pattern you don't know about it, yet. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it, yeah, it's interesting when things like that happen, and then you're like, you're focusing so much on these bad things that are happening, but somebody would be there to remind you, like, oh, you're kind of not paying attention to all the good things happening, though. <laughs>
3: right. Um, or, or then later, later he finds out, oh, no, that thing you had, no, that wasn't from the Silver Bridge. That was just from a highway they tore up. Yeah. A
1: ago.
3: <laughs> Either way, I don't
1: think I'd be brave enough to do that. <laughs> Especially, you know, I, I, there, there I, I kind of want to visit the town but there's also part of me that's like I might be too spooked because I've seen you know videos of like people exploring abandoned places which that alone fascinates me that's always interesting to see but you know there's Things on YouTube of people go into like the, the TNT area, and that's the spot where I'd be like, uh, no, no, I don't think so.
3: Yeah, I, t- I got to agree with you. I don't know. I there was a point in my life where. I really wanted to do that. It's like, I'm going to, you know, every vacation is going to involve sleeping in a haunted hotel, you know, and I'm going to just really throw myself into the answer is out there and I'm going to go to these haunted places and I'm going to come back. And, and it, and it seemed exciting. And, and then, I don't know, somewhere in my late thirties, forties or something, something turned a corner with me and I was just sort of like, Nah, I don't need to. I, I I've been scared enough in my life. I, I I don't need to go looking for it, and I don't need to go looking for bad feelings. I think that's what it was too. It's like, I think personally, it would bother me. You know, um, it does bother me. Even the good stuff bothers me now. Even when I go to a medium and and I get good information, I I feel weird about it, and I, I I'm like, you know what? I I, I gotta just. I I stick to the books I don't need to do it in real life I mean I don't know if you guys have found the same thing
1: yeah I mean I so I know somebody who does um, uh, tarot readings and she offers all the time and I'm like you know I, I did it once and then whenever it gets offered I'm like I shouldn't because I know I'm going to read too much into it and then I'm going to make myself worry to death and I don't want to do that.
4: (laughs)
0: Yeah,
1: that also kind of poses that question, right? Is
0: like once you uh, let's say you're getting uh, a look through the window into the future and then you're being told these kind of vague descriptions and you know there's so many different ways to interpret it there's people that say yeah they're vague for a reason you know so you can read more into it but it it also it starts making you think like are these making me str- like steer the vehicle into this direction or not so it's almost best to be unknown but of course like i've i've always been investigative throughout my whole thing and exploratory so it's like throughout my whole life of 41 years and it's just like yeah i kind of want to explore and i kind of want to know these things or get different perspectives on something but on the same token it's like yeah let me let me live my life and we'll figure it out too. yeah exactly there yeah there's yeah. this
1: this like kind of push and pull with supernatural and it's, you know, it's always going to be so interesting to me. So, so did I,
3: your, your, the tarot card reading that you did, did you find that it was accurate?
1: No, i so it, it was, I mean, there, there've actually been a couple of them and honestly, I can't even remember what they were, <laughs> but, but they were things that were kind of vague, like, uh, difficult, uh, spot in your career or relationship <laughs> something could happen here and like it was always like possibly yeah. related to whatever was on my mind at the current time where I, where, that's where I, I kind of cling to this one worry in my head where I'm like oh my god could it be about this thing that I'm worried about <laughs> and now that thing I'm worried about is actually going to happen right. and uh, you know but yeah there's that that push and pull with it where it's like you're so curious about it and you know i'm the same way with ghost stories too where i especially every october i like to go to you know haunted locations in our area uh, we're we're based in st louis and uh, uh oh okay. yeah so we have uh places like the lent mansion and uh I mean and of course the exorcist the, the exorcist is the, the big one oh, uh, right. with with the the whole story that uh I mean, there, there's that great book the devil came to st louis which we Oh yeah we kind of tied into our exorcist episode a couple of years back but but that being said uh, it's just you know you you kind of want to step close to it But not too close. You You don't
0: want to get burned by the fire. Yeah, (laughs) like
1: like, so. So now I'm at the point where I'm like, maybe I just listen to the stories, and you know, as long as I'm not involved,
3: (laughs) uh, that I can be worry-free. Yeah. Well, it's strange because I've been, uh, I've gone to psychic mediums who have you know, their thing is to, you know, talk to uh, dead spirits, relatives, people like, you know, and, and I've had, I, I would not say I've had great luck. Like there's, I've never had the experience where I was just totally blown away. And I've been in small group experiences where there'll be a medium and the people on, on my left and the people on my right are are just blown away. I mean, they, they walk out of the room a different human being than they were when they walked in. and But for me, it's never quite, it's always like, oh yeah, I think your mother's here, she's very proud. And I'm like, well, okay, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the tarot card reading was crazy accurate. That's the part that's crazy. Because you'd think if anything doesn't make sense, it's gotta be tarot. Like there's no way these cards with these paintings could it's it's like astrology it's like well there's just there's just nothing possible that could work here and yet the three times i've done tarot cards it's been crazy accurate and again not crazy accurate like okay here's your phone number and but like like an instant summing up the first time something very very big and dramatic had just happened in my life that week okay um and and the 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 cards went down and the person's like okay boom this thing happened and and this is how you're reacting to it and this is going to be the result of it i mean it was just like instantaneous didn't do it again for easily 20 years and then at a party there was a tarot card reader and again it's like you're doing this and this is happening, here's the reasons you're doing it, here's what you found, and here's what's gonna happen. And again, it was like, wow, it is like you've been following me around the past week. Wow. Um, And then the third time was kind of stupid, but it was still fun, I'll tell you what happened. <laughs> okay. It was at my kids' uh, grammar school. It was at like the little spooky Halloween fair, you know? And um, he was pretty little at the time. And so, and it wasn't even my tarot card reading, but they were doing a tarot card reading for the little kids. <laughs> and they they did the tarot card reading and, and for my son, uh, they said, your spirit animal is the raccoon. And he's like, wow, cool. He was maybe eight years old, maybe seven. And we were like, oh, wow. Okay, that's your spirit animal. All right, all right. And then an hour later, as we're driving home from from the the little school Halloween carnival, we're we're turning, and our headlights sweep across a tree, right right outside our house, and there's a family of raccoons running up the tree. <laughs> Whoa! Oh. We never seen raccoons around that area. Never seen more. I've never seen more than one raccoon at a time, and this was a family of raccoons. And we're like, "Wait a second! It's your spirit animal." (laughs) (laughs) It was amazing. So I'll I'll give that to the tarot cards too. I'll lump that in with my crazy accurate tarot card readings.
1: Yeah, there's this other thing that with any sort of you know, seeking, not necessarily seeking contact, but seeking evidence uh, whenever you kind of get into that existential crisis mode. And I think that's something where it's like, it would be kind of nice to know if there's something beyond this life. And I think that's like part of the gratification, maybe, that comes with the search for answers is maybe there's something in us that kind of seeks that comfort of. Knowing that there is something beyond, I, I wonder if that kind of taps into that.
3: Well, what do you guys think? like if i if you you know had to had to give an answer right now, just you know, up or down, uh, and, and 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 you know with with no details or you know, oh, here's my whole cosmology if if I asked you, do you think there is something else after death, whatever it may be, or do you or do you think suspect feel into it? that it is lights out and the plug is pulled and you're done. What would what what's your feeling? I say
0: I think I, there's something after. I say yes.
3: Yeah, me too.
0: I think it's it's it's, it's kind of it's weird. I I it's funny that you bring that up because like I definitely kind of go back and forth on it, right? Because I try to take more of a realistic and maybe some people might say a very simple approach to things is like everything has an explanation. It is what it is. And, you know, once, once your body start, stops working, you're, you're done physically. But I feel like human lives in general generate so much, whether you want to say electricity, um, emotion, there's so much energy in a person's body that I feel like it's going to make an imprint. Whether whether that's all it is, is just energy, and your energy floats around, that I could buy into, just because it's like, well, yeah, where else is it going to go? You, you can physically contain somebody in, in you know, six feet under, or, you know, have them cremated, or whatever, but that energy has to go somewhere. I, I feel like we, you know, I, I firmly believe in hauntings, are really just captured energy and I think that that's where the poltergeist stuff that comes out of the Mothman legend it really kind of throws me off because it's like okay is is it just like this ripple effect from the Mothman or from the legend of the Mothman however you really want to word it or is it just this these people or this town has so much energy that it cannot be contained it's always something I, I wonder about. Yeah.
3: Well, it's yeah. I think you're you're pointing in the exact right direction because, and it's almost a chicken or the egg sort of thing. Something, you know. Let's posit that in that area of Point Pleasant, in that time, you know, sixty six into sixty seven. Um, a lot a lot seemed to be going on mm-hmm. okay and did did it start small and then sort of snowball because people began to notice and and suddenly the energy that was going back and forth between the experience and the experiencer started like like creating a beacon that drew in even more exterior energies and entities that thought, hey, here's a place we can go to interact yes. with human energy. And so then that started to happen. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard because you think about that and you're like, well, then that would imply that a haunted house would become increasingly more haunted as people became aware of its hauntedness and began to visit it. Like in other words, if there's a very if there's popular haunted sites, wouldn't they become even more like it's like, well uh, you know, 50 years ago, people would come here and one out of a hundred people would have an experience. But now everyone has an experience all the time and the ghosts are actually serving your breakfast. Right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> what's happening? And why, and what's the thing? Like uh, here in Los Angeles, down uh, in San Pedro, that's where the Queen Mary is. Mm. Uh, is is set up and um you know they do tours and it's a hotel and stuff and but that place seems crazy haunted like a lot of people have experiences there and and then it's like well why why that place you know is it the water is it something about the material used in building a ship there's got to be something phys- like it always feels like there's a factor we're missing and it feels like it's got to be physical you know it's got to be the amount of copper in the area or or the weather it's it's very humid that's why there's ghosts there and not somewhere else but it's it's really hard to find that common denominator that really successfully explains a broad spectrum of phenomenon i haven't been able
1: to yeah i mean i've seen some people try to piece it together with oh radioactive activity at the power plant that kind of thing where the munitions you know but still i don't know if that's quite enough <laughs> you know
3: well no and, because then you i mean aren't there other places like that aren't yeah other exactly mu- munitions dumps all across america and the world are they all equally haunted or haunted at all right
0: well in, in i i mean i forget who came up with this theory but I, I do remember like reading some supernatural stuff, just like blanket kind of general supernatural stuff. And um, somebody made the comment somewhere, and again, I cannot remember who did it, but that more paranormal or supernatural activity tends to happen near bodies of water, which is kind of interesting when you think about it, especially with your the, the haunted house. Um, comment that you made where like, yeah, so if this is an actual enclosure and let's say the energy is like trapped in the haunted house and, and, or they're trapped in this uh, house until who knows when, shouldn't it just kind of fill up with capacity of ghosts? But then you start to think about like bodies of water, and you start to think of oceans. You start to i mean, we have the Mississippi River, which is a pretty big river right by St. Louis, and there's—I I think there might be even a theory with the Lemp Mansion and uh, the Exorcist and all this other stuff—is that that this body of water is really just kind of like this channel for spirits to kind of travel through and they they feel okay by it because it's naturally this passage uh, it's it's almost a passage device, right? It's like, right. oh yeah, you can just take this to go somewhere or travel or whatever. Which means that you know, look, I, I don't want to be in the middle of the ocean anywhere because that should probably be the most haunted place. Yeah, if you don't get you know killed by wildlife or whatever. Yeah. Exactly.
3: <laughs> well, I know, and it's so funny because then then there's the then there's the it's like well, but what about you know tombstone Arizona what right. about all of Nevada what about New Mexico and all of the haunted places where and that'll happen then what's a body of water it's like well you know there's I mean I'm in Pasadena California but there's a reservoir mm-hmm. you know and then there's a pond across the street from me uh you know sort of in, in a little complex of houses they all share a, a pond like what 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 constitutes a body of water right. and then and then if that's the truth then are coastal towns more haunted than inland towns
0: I mean, that's the funny thing is that, like, once you start looking into that stuff and you start thinking and corresponding with, like, hauntings that you hear of, they kind of all sort of are. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> and sure, that could totally be a coincidence, but I also feel like there's there's some
3: truth in there somewhere. Well, I've just been reading um, a book about poltergeists, and um, and this guy was saying... And i'll tell you the name of the book in a second um i'll go i'll go grab it but um uh he was saying that he's had some luck this is very modern um and this is in england and as he investigates poltergeist cases he's had some luck telling the people okay so here's how we're gonna stop the haunting um move out of the house and shut down all the electricity like Mm -hmm. literally shut down all electricity in the house um And, and, you know, like, like at at the main breaker, just shut it all down and, and leave your house for at least a month. And because, because his theory is that the, is that the energy feeds on the electrical energy. And he's like, I've had some luck with that. Uh, people leave, they shut everything down, they come back, uh, the, the haunting is over and then but then of course there's other people going well it's because the family left the house and and it was their energy that was animating it did you follow the family did you go where they went during that month did they did they continue to have poltergeist activity where they went because there's evidence for that there's stories where that happens and then you're back at the you know back to the old drawing board sure and i think i
0: i i mean i think it it would be safe to say that there's probably different varieties of, of poltergeist and haunting and like spiritual activity, right? It, it's not all clear cut. It's not all one rule. It could be, uh, you know, a family member just wanting to hang out and make sure you're okay. It could just be a mischievous, like five year old that tragically died and he loves turning on and off lights. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's, yeah. that's kind of the more fascinating thing is, like once you start looking or trying to find a, a human aspect in something spiritual and not like physically tangible it's like okay h- how can i explain this and your brain kind of just tries to
1: fill in the blanks Essentially, yeah. if you if you had to apply that method to what happened in point pleasant where do you think that all comes from uh, are we that, that's where it just boggles the mind because it's like this doesn't exactly sound like an alien story. This doesn't exactly sound like a ghost. What is going on here right.
3: Well, yeah, and then you get to you get to the the question of, wow, so much was happening in Point Pleasant that one year that John Keel was there. but we don't have five more of those, Right. Or 10 it? more, you know, there's not a lot of others. And then, and then of course, you know, the skeptics, but anyone starts going, well, was, was the, was the connecting factor, John Keel? And, and was it connecting because he was doing the connecting was, was he sort of saying, well, I, I'm going to try to, I'm gonna to try to pull together everything I'm hearing and everything I'm experiencing and present it in such a way that it feels to the reader as if it, it was more connected than perhaps it actually, actually was.
4: Hmm.
3: I don't know. I, I was fortunate enough to meet him uh, a couple of times and spend a little bit of time with him. There was nothing about him that made me feel like, oh, he made this all up, this guy, you know, this is just, you know, this is all bullshit. Um, At the same time, he showed no interest at that point in his life in convincing anyone of anything. Uh, He would talk about it, but he talked about it in a very offhand way, like it was just, you know, like the trip he took to Disney World two years ago. (laughs) He's like, oh yeah. It's like, well, well, what happened is I'd go over there and then this would happen. And then, you know, and what what people forget is that, you know, this person, you know, did that with, you know, and that thing happened to them. So anyway, what are we having for dessert? (laughs) (laughs) So it was, it was, it was was like disconcerting because I thought when I met him, it was going to be like the most transcendent event of my life and I was going to like, look into his eyes and know the secrets of the universe and and he just presented in such a confounding way which which is well known i mean he would go he would go to these conventions and just piss everybody off because he wouldn't stop joking about aliens and the people at the (laughs) convention were dead serious and they wanted this guy to give them some answers and he's like what are you looking at me for
1: That sort of casual approach to it, but I guess, I don't know, I guess, you know, depending on what you believe in that, in those shoes, maybe it could get tiresome to talk about after a while, or maybe, maybe if it was something that did, you you know, you spent so much time on this that maybe you do have to take a lighthearted approach to it. I don't know. I mean, you could look at it in so many different ways, but...
3: Well, well, uh, it comes down to what, you know, what do we expect from people who tell us these things from the, the ghost hunters, right. the experiencers, what do we expect from them? what do we want from them? Um, and, and how do we feel when we do or do not get that thing? So if you get someone who speaks very casually about the the, the, you know, the UFO or the poltergeist experience they had. Does that, does that disappoint us? Does it make us believe them less yet on the other end of the spectrum? If we meet someone who then based on an event or something that happens to them, Comes across as a guru. Suddenly, they're showing up at uh, you know all new age conventions and giving lectures and selling cassette tapes and, and self published books. Now, do we think oh well now they're just making a dollar off what right. they're doing or they're trying to invent a religion or they're or they're they're taking a small bit of supernatural evidence and building an entire legend around it that that you know sort of isn't isn't as true as the core experience. What do we expect from these people? Because we do have expectations and there's not a lot of room for them to not disappoint us, piss us off or, or make us dismissive of them. And, and yet there they are, the ones who experienced the thing. And then you wonder, well, what would I do? Like, look, you guys know, and I know that if anything big ever happened to us, no one will believe us. Right. Right? Because we talk about this shit all the time, (laughs) you know? So it's like, oh, gee, the guys who have the podcast about the scary (laughs) stuff, had some scary stuff. We want to go into yeah, that.
0: Yeah, how convenient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. How good, how'd that
3: happen? Yeah. Well, how about that?
0: You know, well, It's funny because, like, I would go to Lemp Mansion, which, if you don't know anything about Lemp Mansion, I would highly encourage you to uh, read What's some of this. The Lemp Mansion, essentially, it started with the Lemp Brewery. Uh, the Lemp's were-
3: oh. The, well here it is in my book Ghost Stories of Missouri. Oh, oh nice. there okay.
4: <laughs>
3: yeah, the no. The very it, first thing that comes up. If it's a really
0: fascinating story just about like how German lager essentially came to America. That's it's pretty much what the Lamps, for the most part, except for down in the East Coast, but for Midwest uh, uh, for Midwestern states, the, this is, I mean, it's the start of Budweiser, essentially. But <laughs> what's interesting about it is, like, I used to go on the ghost tours almost every Monday with my friend Heather, and the one time I took my girlfriend at the time for her first time, and she she actually told me ahead of time, like hey just to let you know sometimes weird stuff happens and i'm like what do you mean and she's like i don't know i i feel like people try to contact me i don't want to sound crazy i'm like well this is kind of sounding crazy but (laughs) I'll, i'll roll with it and sure as shit whenever we do this ghost tour i've been on this ghost tour like probably i would say 20 times at this point and this one time is the only time I physically saw something with my two eyes where a chair shook and it kept shaking even after we called it out for a minute. And we were just like, hey, that chair shaking because the guide was like, oh, what are you guys all staring at? And I said, hey, the chair, the chair is shaking. You can see it shake like two more shakes and that was it and it stopped and it's like of course as soon as we call it attention to it but the the weirdest part about it was like it was her first time I don't know if it was her that set it off or what she was one of the first people if not the first person to notice it and then everybody else saw it and that that's kind of what fascinated me more is that everybody else saw it and the fact that I'd been on the tour numerous times I'm like okay that's not a staged thing after this tour is over, I'm going to go step on all these floorboards and see if the, I can provide any explanation. So I was totally the scully of the ghost. tour group. <laughs> <laughs> uh, But I, I mean, honestly, like that, uh, there's a few suicides that happened in that family that it just kind of, when I think there's tragic business or unfinished business is probably the more correct term that, that energy can stick around and it's not necessarily saying they want to finish it, but there's not a resolve, which is kind of also funny with the Mothman stuff is like,
1: yeah, there's not really a resolve. It's, it's just there. Yeah. Except for the, I mean, I guess when the bridge collapsed, but but that's, but even then, I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, uh, Richard, but, uh, but you know you have stories afterwards of you know sightings here and there afterwards but for the most part it does seem like that was the end right
3: well i think so i have not heard a lot of contradicting evidence or or even anecdotal evidence of people saying no, no, that's crazy. It's still going on. It's, it went on, you know, for another two years. It's still going on today. Yeah, because I have I, not heard that at that, all. So yeah,
1: because when you go, uh, when I, when I was doing my own research for the other, the first part of this episode, uh, you go online and there's so many articles that are like very vague descriptions of. The Mothman was seen prior to September 11th, and but there's no citations whatsoever for uh, any cont- any ongoing sightings. So I think that's another thing that makes this story interesting. Is that with that Silver Bridge collapse, like it's just like
3: that's it. What what sort of makes the question even more present are the modern day sightings around Chicago. I do remember hearing about that. Yeah. yeah, um, And, and they, they do crop up and there's been a lot of them over the course of the last few years, like, I, it, like way more than there ever were in point pleasant. And, and the, and some of the witness accounts are just like, they're kind of undeniable. It's just like, look, I saw this thing. I was standing right in front of it. It's a lot of it's around the airport. And, Well, there's a couple things. It's around the airport. People see them. Uh, It's been going on for years. Now, here's what hasn't happened. There hasn't been, you know, a big plane crash or anything in in a defined amount of time that you could sort of go, oh, yeah, this was connected to that. You know, there could over the course of years. Yeah, there, there could be any any number of things that could happen in a city that could be considered, you know, tragic, big or small nothing has really happened in chicago that stays in our mind you know on the level of like a nine eleven or something like that right. and god forbid if anything happened you know in the next two weeks i don't know if you could say oh all of those sightings over the past five and a half years uh well that's what it was about because i think that's too big a time frame right yeah 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 but there have been so many signings. Like, like when I read the book, I was, I got to be honest, relatively uninterested in the Mothman himself. Like, I wasn't like, oh my God, you know, this is the most compelling, you know, tulpa that has ever existed. I was like, yeah, that's cool. The Mothman guy is cool, but I'm more interested in Indrid Cold and weird phone calls and John Keel and his experiences. And that's what I care about. And for me, the Mothman's more of like a weird symbol. He's almost like a... Uh, almost like a third level character he's not he's not above the title he's below the title even though he's in the title um but and so i didn't really believe it's not like oh yes i believe in the mothman but you know what because of these chicago sightings i way more believe that people are seeing a supernatural being with big leathery wings and glowing red eyes that lets out a horrible shrieking noise that sounds like a bus, you know, slamming on the brakes. Um, I, I'm I'm much more open to that now than I was 25 years ago when I wrote the movie.
1: You know, I did want to go back to when, when you were uh, positioning that question of afterlife, what we believe. Uh, I think, um, not to get too, <laughs> not to sound too stonery here, but <laughs> but, there, but I do have those moments where, you know, you're kind of like thinking like, how crazy is it that, you know, it, it feel, it does feel like life is so random. Mm-hmm. And sometimes like I kind of catch myself thinking like, isn't it crazy that I was born as myself and this is me right now like whoa and that's one of those things where uh i just go back to it i'm like maybe that's my proof maybe that's all i need is to know that you know because everybody says you're looking for meaning in all this different stuff and i don't know i'm not quite sure what wasn't it. it i think it was
3: i think oscar wilde said uh, when somebody asked him if he believed in reincarnation, and he said, "He said I don't find it that much more miraculous to be born twice than to be born once." Oh, that's yeah.
1: that's a good say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's it's 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 so fun to think about too. Though is just, um, I mean, I'll definitely always be a believer. Not not to bring up the exorcist too much, but. You, being a st louis podcast it's it seems like besides the Lunt mansion that's the other thing that's notorious here uh in st louis but uh yeah that's another thing where those accounts are just so convincing when you read about it and um it's enough to really make you believe um I mean, not saying it has to be approached necessarily in a religious way, but enough to say to think that you know something, something happened here that is beyond a scientific explanation, and yeah,
3: it's it's. I find that that it. I mean, it depends on what door you walk through to to think about an event um if you're in a very catholic area you know and 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 everyone there shares a very deep belief in a particular mythology then then it it stands for reason that any event that is unexplainable that happens there will be seen through that particular viewpoint and might break toward, ah, it's a, it's the blessed Virgin Mary, or yeah. it is a sign of Satan. Like those, the witnesses of uh, the Virgin Mary at Fatima um, now over a hundred years ago, and it's been written about in a million books, but but there's there's people who say, well, it's obvious that what those kids were seeing was a UFO. If you listen to the way they describe it, there was you know colored lights in the sky, and we were entranced, and 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 the, and and it danced. the The lights, multicolored, and they danced in front of us, and 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 yet the language they used all around describing the phenomenon was, you know, it was our, you know, it was Mary, uh and 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 we were you know held in thrall by her, the beauty of those lights, and yet if you if you sort of divorce yourself from all that, you you could be listening to a UFO report. So so it, it yeah, it's like well, so you something happens, you witness a thing, and then you immediately start veering off course because the minute you start interpreting, now you're bringing yourself in, and you're bringing a physical thing in to describe a non-physical transcendent thing and there's no other way we have we only have what we have we have our senses and we have our our minds to describe an experience but the minute you start describing it it's like it's like it's like when you when you wake up from a dream and as you're telling it you're forgetting it yeah that's what this feels like it's like it's like the, the the more i try to put it into words the the more i'm messing it up and now I'm forgetting what it was because it was beyond words. And I uh, thought that, you know what? It's, it's gone. Yeah. I forget that, everything I yeah. said.
1: <laughs> that, that, that happened to me recently where I was uh, telling my fiance about a dream I had. I was like, yeah, I got to Remind me to tell you about this crazy dream. And I started saying it. And eventually I was like, ah. Never mind, it's gone.
3: (laughs) 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 Well, I mean, it's a very—I mean—that's a common part of, uh, especially the near-death experience. Uh, People saying, "I," over and over, witnesses—they use the same phrase: "There there are no words. I don't have the words," and—and that's strange because uh, I don't know about you guys. I mean, I'm a writer. You guys host a podcast. So you're very good at, at translating your experience into words that can be consumed meaningfully by a listener. There's very little that's ever happened in my life that I felt I could not describe. I don't have the words. I got words coming out my ass. (laughs) I got words for everything, but to hear about it and think, what would it be like? What would an experience even be where I didn't have the words? And yet that's what people say. And and that makes it feel even more. It's like, well, then it has to be non-physical. It has to be from another plane of existence because every other thing we can describe.
1: Yeah, I mean that. That I've never actually quite put that together, especially with the uh, kind of dream analogy with that, and uh, and you you that that's actually, <laughs> not to get too off-topic, but that is another thing that fascinates fascinates me too is the near-death experiences but i've never quite put together if i've I've never really dove into it as much as i wanted to because i I've, i've you usually you might hear it from one person's perspective of you know the christian afterlife and you know christianity believers and then I always wondered: Is there some common thread with people who are from different backgrounds with the near-death experiences that, like, ooh, are they going to the same place or? Right. Where get? I've yeah. i always wondered that. Yeah.
3: Well, you'll find out. I mean, you can. Uh, I think it's really worth it if you uh, if you want to dive into that. Um, I've done a lot of reading in that area and just came across a book called Other World Journeys by uh, Carol Zaleski. And this is accounts of near-death experiences in medieval and modern times. Huh. And wow. um, it's not, I mean, it's, it's, it's semi-cross-cultural, it's more historical. And there are, there are, there is some information that you can get about cross-cultural experiences and you can go on the near death experience, uh, foundation, uh, internet site where people just upload their experiences and you can read through hundreds, thousands of them. But the people who have sort of studied this and, and tried to sort through it have found a couple of things. One of the things they find is that whatever you believe, uh, whatever your religion is or non-religion is not at all necessarily what you experience in your near-death experiences. In other words, many skeptics and atheists have had near-death experiences where they feel that they met a, a heavenly being, a spiritual being, and they come back with their lives changed. There, there have been people who are devout Christians who have a near-death experience where they meet a spiritual being that is not Jesus. And they come back saying, well, now I have a more nuanced view. Like I absolutely thought I was gonna walk through pearly gates and meet Jesus. And I didn't, but I, I had an experience where there was an afterlife and there were spiritual beings and I was in a, a beautiful place. But now I'm beginning to think that, that, that what happens is, so people have these experiences and have had them throughout history and have come back and 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 reported on them with the language they have in the culture that they live in and then and they bring that to the experience but but ultimately what happens in minotav experience is very kind of uh i, I want to say secular it, it 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 it's not like oh The Hindus were right, you know, or, well, it was Scientology after all, or something. (laughs) (laughs) It's like they, they all come back with this feeling of, oh, I think everyone is taking a different road. To this same general place. And of course, when it's you having the near-death experience, you're bringing yourself into it. I mean, the experience or effect is real. Your part your consciousness is participating in that. And if you live in India and you grew up there, you're going to have, there'll be cultural indicators in your near-death experience, but there'll also be shared elements that, that, um, that uh, cross all borders. There will be the tunnel of light. There will be the life review. There will be the uh, the uh, border that cannot be crossed because the people who have the near near death experience they all come back. There will be a visit with a uh, spiritual being. There'll be a, a visit with uh, dead relatives that you know. There's there's a there's maybe you know anywhere there's probably ten or twelve, uh common. Uh, elements to a near-death experience, and not everyone experiences them all, but they get repeated over and over and over and over again, and uh, and that's that's everywhere from Africa to Asia to South America to North America to Europe. Uh, these these core elements, almost like the collective unconscious, or almost like certain fairy tales that exist in every country and in every culture, and always have these things are so central to the near-death experience that you, you really can't get away from the idea that all human religions came from the near-death experience. Humans had the experience, came back, told their stories of their visit to the other world, those stories were then interpreted and embellished in those cultures, and those things became Religion,
1: hmm. you know, that's interesting. Um, I always think back to uh, uh, something George Lucas had actually said when he was, uh,
3: well, our, you know, our, our modern prophet, right,
1: right. When he was creating uh, Star Wars and making this whole mythology with that, he said something to the effect of there's truth to all religions that were. Everybody's looking at different parts of the same elephant, basically, and that's <laughs> right. and I, yeah. I always thought that was an interesting way to look at it. it like, oh, okay, yeah, uh, and that's well,
3: it is true. We're all we're we're all groping in the dark, trying to find our way home.
1: Right. <laughs> so now, going back to Mothman, do you have any final thoughts as far as? how your perspective has maybe changed 20 years later I know you said regarding the creature itself you're more open to that idea but do you have any clue any idea any belief of what you think may have actually happened there
3: well, it's really, it's really tough. You, you talk about the elephant, you know, and, and, you know, the, the blind men all trying to describe a different animal, depending on what part of the elephant they happen to be in touch with. And, and what's so great about the Mothman prophecies is, is how many different parts of the elephant were present in Point Pleasant that year. Um, you know, from poltergeists to UFOs to Mothman to Men in Black, uh, weird voices on the phone, precognitive dreams. Uh, I, I mean, if if there is if there is an aspect of the paranormal that didn't crop up at least once in Point Pleasant, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe uh, maybe Black eyed Kids, but they must have been in there somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. So it's that's what makes it I remember pitching the idea or, or very briefly talking to my agent about it and then um, and then like a month later having lunch with him and, and he's like so what's your next project gonna be and I'm like well, well maybe it could be this or maybe there's this book over there or maybe it could be this other thing and he said what about the haunted town and I'm like, what? He's like that haunted town thing you were telling me. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you mean the, the mothman prophecies? Yeah, yeah, you know, that, that, that thing. What about that thing? That, that sounded really cool. And I'm like, that's so funny because I never I never thought of it as the haunted town. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah. yeah, it was a haunted town. But yeah, it wasn't yeah. a haunted town. Ha- I mean, his, his, you know, his sort of the way he conceived of it being, you know, a professional in the entertainment industry was everyone else has got a haunted house. We've got a haunted town. town. <laughs> We're gonna sell it for a million dollars. Yes. <laughs> We're gonna have t-shirts, bumper stickers, <laughs>
0: all the works. All the works. Yeah,
3: but it was—it was—it was a haunted town. It really was. And and when you look at it that way, it um there's something that is so um uh, endearing. Because it was a small town, it was in the '60s. It was before everything. I mean, obviously before computers and the internet. But this town, you know, barely had phones. You know, I mean, it was it, it, like not every house had a television. This was not New York City. You know, and and the fact that so many people in a town like it, it plays into our our dream of Americana that there that there is that that small town where people all care about each other. Movies have been made, musicals have been written. And now we have a ghost story that, that ties the entire town together and not, in a and not like in a, uh, uh, in a, you know, Peter Straub ghost story way where it's, you know, the town has committed a crime. They had, they're hiding a dark, dark secret. And now they are paying the price. It was like, no these are people who are all experiencing something that's distressing to them and and they're they're trying to figure it out and they're trying to find comfort w- 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 uh, in each other and then of course the the impact of the bridge collapse uh, again it, yes it would have been equally tragic maybe even more tragic in terms of number of dead if it had happened in new york city or some other big city but the fact that it happened in this small town and everyone knew someone on that bridge who died it touched everyone so it it, it becomes obviously a story about people g- grappling you know and and again you know what what we would think of salt of the earth people grappling with the biggest mysteries that humanity can grapple with doing it individually doing it as a town doing it as a group of families and then and then coming all the way back around to the tragedy that in the movie john klein experienced the death of someone close to him and now that's what happens to the town and everyone now looks at each other and is in the same boat. And it's the boat we all live in because we're all going to experience that at some point in our life, the loss of someone. And and to me, that was what was always so compelling about the story that it existed, b- both large and small at the same time. The biggest story in the world that could be told through a handful of people in a small town and we would recognize ourselves in their experiences. Um, That's that's what drew me in. I still feel that for, for, you know, there were no podcasts when I wrote this movie, but every podcast that exists, that talks about these stories exists because there's a small town of people, your listeners, who want to explore these questions and uh, you know, you will not be surprised to hear that I have no more answers now than I did then. (laughs) Certainly not. Um, but, but I I will say this and I, and I think we've been bumping up against it throughout our entire conversation and now I'll make it explicit. There is only one common denominator in, all of these things that we've been talking about and that common denominator is that all of these things were experienced by a human being and that is how we know about them and 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 ultimately the scientists want proof and they want you know a crashed ufo but really what we have are people who have had experiences with aliens near-death experience, ghost experience, supernatural experience, precognitive experience. What we have are the people. That's who we should be talking to. That's who we should be listening to. And that's what we should be trying to understand because ultimately that's the only interest we have. How will we as individual human beings respond and react when we come face to face, ultimately with the great unknown?
1: Well, I think that is so well said. Uh, And so happy to be celebrating 20 years of the Mothman prophecies. I love the film. Uh, It's, you know, I I do like to think that a lot of the renewed interest is because of the film. I I don't know if it's something I would have even really, you know, dove deep into if, if it wasn't for the movie. And uh, I mean, it's funny because like now you go on <laughs> any streaming app like uh, Discovery Plus where they have all the ghost hunting shows and oh, they yeah. have like there's it's crazy how big it's become, uh, like how, how many documentaries there are. There's a show about monster hunters and these Guys go to Point Pleasant and they're setting up the world's biggest bug zapper, <laughs> like <laughs> taking, taking this, you know, taking Mothman so literally. <laughs> and it's wow. like, what are you guys
0: doing? We're, we're <laughs> going to draw him out. We got the biggest <laughs> light. <lion. laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> but it's just it's so interesting, like how far it's come. And, you know, I. I oh I'm, my God. What if it worked? What, <laughs> oh, what if it worked? Is what works. And yeah. this TV show is what solved yeah. all <laughs> the kids these guys wow <laughs>
4: we got one yeah. we got one
1: <laughs> but yeah it's so cool how uh just you know just how, how how much it's gotten out there and you know I'd love to make it two point pleasant someday, maybe check out the museum and I know that there's props from the film there and uh, the festival looks pretty fun. I, I, I think it'd be cool. I w- like, like you said, I wish there was a way to do a screening there. I think that'd be so cool. If but- they
3: can, if, if, if the, the day there's one uh, uh, a five-star Michelin restaurant in Point Pleasant, I'm there.
4: Yeah,
3: as long as there's a four seasons and twenty four hour room service yeah. and uh, and a massage, and uh, then uh, no problem. Yeah, uh, right. I'll be there. Uh, uh,
1: but so happy for your contribution to this, and you know, I'm so glad. Obviously, it wouldn't have existed if not for you, and uh, I i'm so happy and thank thank you very much for joining us for this uh but before we let you go being that this is a horror podcast and we're releasing around halloween do you have any uh favorite films that you like to maybe revisit or any traditions for yourself around the season
3: Oh yeah, um, and and this will not be. I, I will not wow you with a title you've never heard before. I'm going to give you the, you know, this is about as down the middle as you can get. But these are the movies that came out when I was in high school. So, so you 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 must forgive me when uh, when I tell you that my favorites are American Werewolf in London. That's great. <laughs> um, uh, John John Carpenter's The Thing. Yes. Um, altered States for your listeners who haven't seen it. It's a little, uh, less well known, uh, but definitely worth a watch. It's a, it's, it's a weird one and, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I do like that one. Um, but the greatest of all, the greatest of all abbott and costello meet frankenstein yes (laughs) yes (laughs) i mean you just don't get any better than that especially when you're when you're eight years old and and you're and you love Abbott and costello and you're you're terrified and laughing and terrified and laughing uh it's it's there's nothing better thanks so much uh, thanks so
1: much again richard this was so fun talking about this and
3: Uh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for, for having me on. This has been great. This, you know, I mean, it's funny because I obviously have loved this stuff since childhood and then write this movie and, you know, movie, not a huge hit uh, by, by any stretch of the imagination, but, but weirdly it has resulted in so many friendships and conversations and fun podcasts. And, you know, it's, it's like, it's like somehow we all found each other because of the movie and and it just gives us more and more opportunities to to meet more of us who are interested in stuff and have these conversations that's been that's been the real gift in the legacy of the mothman so i say i say thank you mothman if you haven't
1: you should check out the film i think it's i think it's a great you know if you if you feel like i, I mean cuz I, I don't feel like it gets talked about enough if you it doesn't and the fact that we're you know celebrating the 20th anniversary of the film yeah and i feel like you should you know if you want to find something that you know you haven't found anything that's quite spooked you enough this year this would probably be a good one i unfortunately it's not streaming for free anywhere but it you know it's on amazon for $2.99 at voodoo Apple, yeah. If you're spend the three bucks,
0: watch it. I I think it's a movie that deserves a watch because I think a lot of people probably dismissed it, and it it's always made me wonder why people dismissed it unless it was, you know, the fact that Richard Gere was in it. I I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of big names in it. Yeah. Like- I mean, I I just don't know why it hasn't been talked about more because it's a very very good movie, and I, I don't know if it's because of availability. I, it's so strange. It's like, um, you know, unfortunately, the film hasn't received a Blu-ray release here in America, but the good news is, well, somewhat good news. I got more bad news, I guess. Uh, the good news is that Imprint out in Australia did put it out on Blu-ray, and that's how I own it uh, because I picked it up, and it does carry over all the special features from the two-disc Special edition, but um, it has not been put out in
1: America. Yeah, I, I always thought somebody will. Or like, at least like on Blu-ray. Screen
0: factory or somebody would pick it up. But It's a Sony title, so more than likely they'll probably put it out. Yeah. But that's also probably the holdup is like there doesn't seem to be a lot of discussion about the movie. <clears> so <throat> why would they want to take the risk to put it out? I don't know. But with that said, I mean, the Mothman Prophecies I know is out of... Pr- I'm pretty positive it's out of print. Like, you can't get it... The DVD? Mm-hmm. No, the the Blu-ray. Really? Yeah. This imprint one that came out this year, pretty sure Diabolic DVD is out of print. Um, most of the niche kind of collector's websites like Orbit DVD and stuff like that. I believe it's. it was a limited edition. I want to say it was like 2000. Oh, okay. So it's pretty small number. Um. So hopefully, like, you know, I mean, the case like Fright Night, right? And this is why I bring it up is because it's Sony in Columbia Pictures. Yeah. Fright Night was put out on Twilight Time and it was like something like a small limited run. And then I think Sony finally realized, oh, well, there's a decent amount of audience that like sold that out. And now we're hearing through the grapevine that other people would like want to buy it, but they don't want to spend 40, 60 bucks on scalpers. So my hope is that maybe, you know, and now they're putting out Fright Night on 4K of all things, right? So my hope is that maybe someone working for Sony right now is able to put this out because... Uh, I, I think it's well-deserved. Uh, it's a very good movie. But like Patrick said, it's available for like anywhere from three to um, – if you want HD copies, it, it's like four bucks on all your streaming platforms. Um, Yeah. No, I, I really enjoy this
1: movie. Yeah, I wish the score would get a new release. I've,
0: like... I'm actually surprised it doesn't have a vinyl release. Yeah, weirdly. I wish it
1: did because like – you know, it, it's it's a really cool score. It's very creepy, but also, you know, at times it is very symphonic and mm-hmm. kind of emotional. And uh, I'm not—I got to be honest—I'm not too familiar with what what else has Tom and Andy done. Um, so they've done tons of stuff. Bud. I know, I
0: know
2: one. Why don't you tell one? Isn't didn't they do the score for uh, Rules of Attraction? <laughs>
0: That was actually my, uh, the one that I was going to do. Yes, they did that. That's good. They also did the score for the Hills Have Eyes remake. Oh, they've, okay. They've done so many scores, I can't even list them all. But they're all like, you know, I, I really like this score for Mothman Prophecies. That's kind of their calling card. I also really like their Rules of Attraction score as well. Um, But yeah, these I mean, they were kind of used... As much as like, Graham Ravel was probably used in the nineties. <laughs> I mean true, They were man. they were on a Love lot that child of play stuff, two score. <laughs> a lot of stuff for like the early two thousands. They were just doing a lot of like horror genre stuff. But nice, yeah. I mean, it's it's a duo. Obviously, the the whole thing is Tom and Andy is one word, right? But it's it's um, composer Thomas Haydu and Andy Milburn and I, I I can't I think the first thing that I may have heard them on was possibly their first movie, which was Killing Zoe. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah well they're Stolz. Um, I know I remember them from Lothman Prophecies, Rules of Attraction all the same year, by the way, twenty uh two thousand two. That means we need I, I quite honestly think we need to celebrate a twenty year anniversary of Rules of Attraction. Yeah. I think that movie's great.
1: Yeah, I wonder if hopefully more people watch this movie and you know there's parts you know I keep getting reminded of other scenes that creep me out like when Richard Gere's character finds the drawings left behind oh by yeah. his dead wife and I was like man I w- if this movie was more popular I wonder if like they would be selling prints of those yeah. drawings or yeah. something you know or I wonder who the production designer was who actually did that because it's i mean it's some unsettling stuff but yeah uh the uh, other scores they did i just wanted to mention is the strangers
0: which is somewhat oh similar. that was
1: them okay
0: somewhat similar very moody stuff yeah just kind of like long drawn out mood and then uh recently i
1: think they did haunt they did haunt oh yeah, yeah. so wow okay yeah um so oh, I did want to mention Mark Pellington uh, he's been on a couple of podcasts like talking about the 20th anniversary and he actually mentioned you know even though the movie's not quite there but it's, it is slowly getting more recognition uh, he did say that he's in the process of possibly developing a Streaming series, okay revisiting the story oh, that and would be cool, so mm. I'm like that would be cool to see him kind of reapproach this stuff and uh I haven't i gotta be honest, I haven't seen too many of his i've Arlington road, yeah and some, yeah. some
0: youtube videos he's done, but um well, I mean that's how he kind of
1: carved out his career was music music videos, music videos right? yeah, but but yeah i'm I'm interested to see where that goes and hopefully that Gets off the ground. and mm-hmm. I want to say, like,
0: Pellington somehow, I, I don't really know how, um, he kind of got, like, mixed in with, like, Fincher, I think. Yeah. It, it could just be the simple thing of, like, each, time, time each frame, of those guys. Too, yeah. yeah, each of those guys started in music videos, and then they started making feature films. But, right. yeah, Arlington Road was, like, that was right, 99? I think so. Yeah. Okay, uh,
1: I don't think I ever saw that, but I always got it mixed up with Ten Rillington Road. Long time ago, but it, yeah, I, I'd I'd like to revisit it because I I don't I honestly don't think I remember I much. Don't but but I've I but definitely I've, seen it. I, I don't remember. remember.
2: Yeah. Ten Robbins, right?
1: Lawrence uh,
0: Arlington Road. Yeah, yeah. that was Tim Robbins and uh, Jeff Fishburne. Jeff. Jeff okay. Lawrence no, Fishburne. No, fuck. No, no.
1: Jeff Bridges. Jeff, Jeff Bridges. Bridges, Bridges. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. I mean, I've I don't heard, know I've heard it's, you know, a good thriller. and Yeah. But yeah, I'd, I'd like to revisit that and with fresh eyes. Yeah, those red eyes. Ooh.
0: <laughs> I like how you were going into like a Jaws mood right there. <laughs> red eyes. Devil's eyes. <laughs> like a doll's eyes. <laughs>
1: the blackest eyes. The devil's, the devil's eyes. eyes. Yeah, apparently,
0: uh, Pellington directed a film in 2018 starring Nick Offerman, John Hamm, Amber Tamblyn, Pat Oswalt, Katherine Keener, Ellen Burstyn. What is like, it? So it's he's, called
1: Nostalgia.
0: Okay. So he's still out there. He's doing still stuff. out there That's doing good. stuff. That's good. Apparently, it doesn't have the best reviews, but it's something that I would still be interested in because yeah, yeah, I kind of lost track of him for a minute. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed the Halloween episode. This is being released on Halloween, so I hope you have a great, awesome Halloween and you had a great month. Hopefully you joined us for either Late Night Grindhouse with uh, Lucio Fulci's Zombie on the 14th and 15th, or maybe we went all out with Horror Trivia Night. Not sure, because we recorded this before. Ha (laughs) ha ha.
1: Ah, ah, ah. Anyway, Patrick, where can people find your lovely self? They can find me on Twitter at MaxReboRules, but during the Halloween season, it's MaxReboGools. Letterboxd, the same, and Instagram at Niles. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram and Letterboxd, NilesMaddox22.
2: Also, if you look up Niles Maddox on Spotify, I got oh, a shit. pretty sweet Halloween mix oh, that's yeah. like 19
1: hours long. We'll so. link it
0: up in case you need another Halloween playlist. Yes. This is the one you want to play today.
1: Don't, Come on. Don't forget mine, which is <laughs> 30, oh, Jesus
0: Christ, 30 hours Woo! long. <laughs> <And> don't forget <laughs> my special Halloween mix. No. Yeah, Andy, where's your? Uh, uh, mix? I never get around to it. Wow. I never do because <laughs> I want to do like an actual mashup. I was, sort I was, of I was gonna, thing.
1: I was gonna say on Spotify, you should combine both of our mixes. And no, do. we will, we will have
0: links. Please check the Actually, show notes. That's a good
1: idea. Put our our Halloween mixes in links.
0: Yeah, yeah, we'll put them in the show notes, and uh, you can cool. access the Spotify playlists for each of these lovely fellows. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and anywhere else. Letterbox at Treefy, T-R-I-E-F-Y. And you can find us as a collective at D T B Horror on Twitter, on Instagram at DestroyTheBrain, and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash DestroyTheBrain. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we hope we spooked you or at least got you in a spooky mood and you're enjoying a pumpkin spice latte or a pumpkin beer. Probably pumpkin beer because that's what we're drinking. All right. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs>